fast. I'm living off borrowed time, the clock ticks fast. I'm living off borrowed time, the clock ticks fast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's Living Off Borrowed Time podcast. I am your host, Patrick McGovern, Patrick and RYM. Clown, um, noted uh, Makami expert and honorary clown scholar. Not joined <laughs> this week by my co-host Caleb Optimal Audio and RYM. He's still in a clown recovery from his time at the circus. But uh, joined by a guest we've been trying to have on for a while because I'm going to do a little thing like uh, Steven Crowder. You don't know this because this is a dumb right-winger from America. But he's this fucking douchebag who goes around to like grade schools and tells the libs to change his mind. He's like, well, I'm conservative, and you, you got to change my mind. I'm, I'm oversimplifying it, but it's already really dumb, so I don't know how I'm oversimplifying it. Anyway, um, we have a battered sphinx on the show from RYM. Uh, coming halfway from around the world, it's my morning, his evening. It was very hard to coordinate this show, but it was very important that he yell at me about LP. Yep, yep, it was essential. Th- thanks for having me, Pat. Great to have you. We've got, we're going to have you on for a few more episodes in the future because... You know a lot more about a lot of hip-hop than I do, and you're definitely going to yell at me about that over the course of this episode. But this episode is going to be kind of a com- – it's like a mini-LP episode, but it's also an album deep dives episode. We're mainly going to be getting into The Cold Vein by Cannibal Ox, which was probably – we're kind of continuing a theme of talking about like seminal underground hip-hop albums on the show. We did 1999 in Underground. We did the – it wasn't seminal, but we kind of discussed a lot of Doom seminal stuff in the Venomous Villain Mox Hard Lemonade episode, and now we're, this is absolutely one of the fucking tempo albums of underground hip-hop. Maybe the first underground one I heard, depending on how you define underground, and maybe you want to get into it more, and so I, you know, still have very limited exposure there. I, there was, even though Sharifi's registration date is 2000, I wasn't aware of RYM until 2005, so there was no real RYM resource for me, so I was still reading, like, Spin and Rolling Stone and shit, and they were like, well, you should check out Aesop Rock and uh, LP, and so I did. I didn't fucking like it. It took me a long time to come around on both of them. But, and I still have fully formed negative opinions of Canonized, the Company Flow album, and uh, LP Solo, Fantastic Damage. And you were like, you're a fucking moron. You need to clean the shit out of your ears. What are you talking about? <laughs> Essentially, in so many words. And mm-hmm. so I revisited them so we could talk about them on this episode. And some of my opinions have changed. This might not mm. be a more Travis Scott situation, some of my opinions have changed. And overall, I'm really not, I, nor have I ever have been, completely negative on L as an artist at that point in his career. At any point in his career, really. But, mm. well, so I'd like to clear some stuff up. We'll probably touch on a lot more topics in underground hip-hop over the course of the episode. So, And I guess we're not going to be strictly chronological here, because we're going to start with Cold Vein, work our way back to uh, Fun Crusher, and then go forward to Fantastic Damage. Because did yep. you hear Cold Vein first? So, um, or do you I would do, say, uh, or do you want to do Def Jux history? Like, how do you want to go into it? Well, I, I, I guess um, initially, we, what we wanted to do is uh, the plan was to just do the Cold Vein because it's, I think, both an album that um, you and I uh, pretty much think. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, you're right. The initial plan for the episode was to just do Cold Vein, and then you kind of we kind of wound up in this discussion of talking about the L albums as well. So. Yeah, yeah, because I think I think um, out of the three albums, uh, Cold Vein is probably the one that we have the most similar opinion on, on in that we both love it. I don't know if I'll, if, uh, oh. I'll let you speak for yourself, but it's definitely one of my top five, top ten, whatever, albums. 
Um, whereas the the reason then when I wanted to expand upon and add in uh, the company flow fun crusher plus and um, uh, LP's fantastic damn it is because um, for one thing I feel like both of those albums are very important um, because they were both sort of released um, around this time period so before and after the cold vamp um, and I think they sort of document not only LP's evolution who is now a pretty much a legendary figure uh, thanks um, to his popular, not only his influence but also his popularity with Run the Jewels um, but also um, these three albums I want to say I heard them all around the same time so I'll, I'll, I'll just get real quick into my introduction to not only the Cold Vein but these three albums actually um, so I mean this was released in 2001 I, I, was, I was like one digit age let's say i was under 10 years old when, when any of this release i didn't know anything about anything around this time so but i want to say my early teens right around the age of uh, 14 or 15 um i was way more of a dusty headed traditionalist backpacker than than you can imagine like i used to um browse i remember i think i got into hip-hop pretty much through my cousins, but then eventually, um, um, when I would download albums from my cousins, um, I would always look them up on Wikipedia, and I was just obsessed with searching up everything on the internet, no matter what it was, any sort of small fact on it, whatever, I'd always search it up. So I was searching up a lot of the albums, and um, um, I'd always scroll down to the reception section, and you always see the top one will always be um, old um uh, what is it? Allmusic.com? What is it? The website? Oh, yeah. uh, All Music Guide. Um, yeah. Really so, great, uh, the a really great Sharpling and Worcester bit. One of the first ones they did called The Music Scholar, where John Worcester calls in and he pretends to be this guy. He's making fun of the guy who does the who's essentially a parody of the dude who writes those All Music Guide reviews because right. they're notoriously arbitrary and like one for an artist will contradict the one next to the artist. Got, like, yeah, the reviews are notoriously terrible. So They're they're really weird, yeah. But honestly, I... I, I <laughs> I did not even read the reviews. Honestly, they, they were very mechanical and um, uh, odd. Yeah, like you that said. That guy would but, fit right in on RYM, by the way. St- um, Stephen Thomas Irwine. Even his name is like an RYM reviewer. If it's read in with how, um, yeah, how ho- horribly written and how hollow <laughs> some of the opinions are. But um, I guess the reason why I gravitated towards that because probably just alphabetically, it always appeared on top. But what I did is I went on the on music website. I downloaded every single five out of five rated hip hop album. Uh, funny enough, they were all at that time all eighties and nineties album. The cutoff was ninety six and ninety seven. Mm. Nothing after that period um, during that time, from what I remember. So for the very longest time in my early teens, my cutoff for hip hop was nineteen ninety six and ninety seven. So I was like, okay, that's those are the years that uh, Tupac and Biggie died. Um, hip-hop died with them. I'm not going to listen to any hip-hop after this period. Um, mainstream sucks, blah, 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 edgy teen, edgy teen. Um, and it wasn't until I found that The Cold Vein, which was an album released after 97, w- was given a, f- um, a five-star rating, I believe, which then I decided to check it out along with um, Fantastic Damage and Funk Crusher Plus. So I was around the age of maybe 15 or 16 or something, and I did not get it. I was just like, what the hell is this? What are these beats? What the hell are they talking about? Um, 
Why are they not on beat? How is this pleasurable to the ears? They're not always rhyming. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. And I can, half the time, I kind of embar- I can barely make out what the hell they're saying. And with increasing um, uh, complexity and esotericism between the cold vein going to fantastic, uh, um, Funk Rush Plus going to fantastic damage. And it probably took me each album about between six to ten times each before I was like, I don't get it, I don't get it, I don't get it, I don't get it. This is incredible. Like <laughs> it just like all of a sudden like it just clicked for me all of these ones. And I and these three albums, I would say in particular one of them, I won't say which one just yet. I wanna say it probably shaped how and changed how I look at art in general, I wanna say, and, and maybe my worldview in general. Uh, but yeah, so that's my introduction, I guess. Uh, a, a bit long-winded, but uh, what was your introduction to these three albums? So starting with Cold Vein, I guess. Yeah, Cold Vein, uh, like I said, I essentially... Um, well, hip-hop, I've kind of covered it on the show. My brother got me into it. I listened to like canon stuff that he would play me, like 36 Chambers. He'd play me Tribe. He played me Gangstar. He played me Brand Nubian. Like, but not like my brother's actually kind of a racist piece of shit. And if he ever hears this, I hope he fucking hears that part and fuck you. But uh, so I don't think he caught on to a lot of the pro or cared about a lot of the pro black messages and that sort of shit, like the consciousness of it or whatever. But he turned me on to a lot of good music. So I do thank him for that. But I'd say underground. So I was already accustomed to like underground stuff. And I guess it was all of that area you're talking about. So, and this would have been about mid high school era. Like, saw, like, saw, he played the stuff for me like, when I was in like junior high, which would have been like 98, 99, like, and I wasn't really absorbing it, but I knew I liked some of it, but I was still kind of a rock, rock kid, like alt rock kid. Like I grew up on like Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Offspring, the shit that like MTV would play ad nauseum because I watched a lot of TV and Smashing Pumpkins and Nine Inch Nails, all that sort of stuff. I would, if you ask me for favorite bands, I wouldn't have like a rock group or rock whatever, or a rap, I'm sorry, in there. So, but then that, that became like, you know, once I started expanding my musical horizons around high school, those were like the rap, the rap artists that I really gravitated towards. But so, but then around, like, I want to say like junior, senior year, I started listening to a little, like read it. They started writing about this stuff, like the Death Jux and um, what was the other label they were always in, like being compared to and in beef with fucking um, Rockus. Rocket. Not, yeah. Well, they weren't really. Well, I mean, there obviously is. We'll get to it. There's a line. But uh, Raucous, yeah. Like, that stuff started, you know, even though Raucous was pretty much done by 2002, I believe. But uh, they start, and they also wrote about, like, there would always be, like, a token, like, that, like oh, you know, hip-hop isn't music, but check out this weird thing. It might prove you wrong. Uh, like, R- Rhyme Sayers? Or... Rhyme Sayers was a little later. But right. de- definitely yeah. Def Jux got mentioned in Spin and Rolling Stone. And there would always be, like, a little, like, token for the Boomer audience oh, you know, hip-hop isn't music. You got really mad when Puff Daddy worked with a guy from Led Zeppelin and ripped off that Led Zeppelin song, you like, hip-hop isn't music. But there's this weird little thing, so kind of proves you wrong, makes them look cool to a younger demographic, quote-unquote. They'd have, like, little niche things about, like, an LP album, an MF Doom album, something like that. And I was still getting a lot of my musical information primarily through those outlets. So when I started to, like, pick up on them getting positive reviews, again, there was no RYM around that time. So I started to kind of look into that on SoulSeek, which I was using even back then in 2003, 2004, and picking up stray tracks because I was still on 56K internet because 
my mom was horrible and didn't we didn't ever get fucking cable internet even when the rest of the world had. So I was still downloading individual tracks because I tried to download a full album as people would get annoyed with my download speed and ban me. Uh, fascinating, I know. But then I remember the first Canox song I heard was Real Earth because I thought the title sounded cool. So the first Canox song I heard was not Iron Galaxy and it was a Vast Air solo song. And it was still fucking good enough that I was like, I got to hear the rest of this album. Like I, I didn't have the same reaction as you. I, I thought the rapping was weird but it was weird in a way where I was like, I can kind of deal with this. Cause I'd already listened to like, I saw like some of the not like weirder, like, you know, he couldn't be any weirder than ODB or Capadonna. Right. I listened to a lot of Wu-Tang by that point in time. So I don't know how much Wu-Tang you've listened to when you were like in your dusty old heads only phase. Oh, but, that was, yes. My, my cutoff was, um, uh, well actually no, 95 was, um, ODB's first album, wasn't it? Which I don't think I listened to back then. But uh, I did listen to a lot of uh, 36 Chambers. But I don't know. To me, ODB was more... He was more um, silly, cartoonish. Right. These guys are dead serious. They're dead serious. These these guys were dead serious. And they were more abstract and experimental and heady. um, And and sort of cryptic. Whereas ODB was like, oh, well, his name is Old Dirty Bastard. um, In a father to style, you know. He has like, well, like 50 kids with with a hundred women and then he died and uh, fairly youngish. So I was like, Oh, here's, well, he's the wild card. He's a crazy one. So, uh, that, that was pretty much the extent of it. Um, but with I, me, that's yeah, a the great comparison actually, but I was just saying, I'm just trying to say in my terms of like, you thought it was too weird and abstract, but you just kept listening to it. I'm sure mm. I thought it was weird and abstract first too, but I didn't think it was off puttingly weird and abstract. I thought the beats mainly hooked me into, cause I was already into psychedelic stuff. Like, Mars Volta was one of my favorite bands at the time. I'd already seen Fish. Like I like was into electronics. Up Chemical Brothers Surrender was one of the first CDs I bought actually. So it's like the beats really appealed to me on a level that no other hip hop was providing. So the beats drew me in. And what Vass was saying on that song was kind of like I thought he had a compelling presence, even if it was going to take me a while to get used to the way he was rapping and what he was rapping about. But like the way he would spit those lines of like the world is a lottery ticket with Chuck. Well, the, the world is a lottery ticket with Chinese numbers. I'm finished. The way he ends that song, like he's still doing like traditional rap bragging, but in a weird ass way. I can still pick up on the fact that like, he's still bragging like a rapper, but he's doing it in a way that no other rapper I'd ever heard is bragging over this beat. It's like no other rap beat I'd ever heard. Mm. So that was and, how I, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I guess for me, my my taste, it wasn't and it still isn't to be honest um, that diverse. I still listen to. As much as I love a lot of a ton of other albums and other genres, I still listen to like seventy percent hip hop. Uh, back then, it was probably like eighty or ninety percent or something. So, with the occasional, you know, Aphex Twin or Gorillas or um, whatever typical, you know, fourteen, fifteen-year-old kid growing up in the mid two thousands. That's the second um, time Gorillas has come up on the show recently. We should really do a Gorillas episode because I. Oh yeah. It, Demon Days is like the album album. Like it's it's the album that was default in iTunes ads, and it was like like yeah. it, it it's like the most album album. Like like <laughs> I don't know how it's to describe dark, it. for an album that was everywhere and everyone knew it and got played in Apple ads. It's a dark fucking album. It's accurate. like for a cartoon album. It's a dark cartoon, man. Like it's yeah. very bleak. It, it, it is. And, it is probably. Would you say that's Danger Mouse's best work? Uh, um, I would say, well, I have, what have I, I've listened to really, really Nars Barkley, Danger Doom, 
Um, Danger Mouse and Gemini. I don't even no think I've album, I assume you don't, album. Like Jay-Z. you don't like Jay Z, right? No, I'm not a big Jay Z fan. Um, and when I, with mashup albums, I honestly kind of treat them as novelty things and I don't really get around to them. But I, I know how important the great album is in terms of internet music sharing and um, all that sort of stuff. But I have, I just not have got around to it. Danger Doom is probably up there with right below Mad, Vill- Mad Villainy for me, but yeah, that Danger album Doom's is so problem. misunderstood. Danger Doom's probably better than Demon Days just because it's an album of those Doom raps, and Doom is like so fucking good on that album. And production-wise, it's probably equal to or better because there are some... Uh, Demon Days is probably better on a production level because Demon Days has to do a lot of different things, whereas uh, Danger Doom really only does one thing, come up with like Saturday morning cartoon instrumentals for Doom. But there are beautiful Saturday morning cartoon instrumentals. Like I'm actually probably going to listen to Danger Doom right after this episode. Now Because <laughs> it's a beautiful fucking day, and i got to walk around this new neighborhood and see what the fuck's going on with it. Like Go down this new trail that's right by my house. And Danger Doom is like a really nice, bright album to listen to. It's really fun. D- so. Danger Doom is probably the best gimmicky um, commercial um, It's literally a commercial. Ever. It's literally a fucking commercial for Adult Swim. Yeah, and Doom jokes about that on the album on Old School. It's like he he throws to the sponsors on Old School because he's and uh he throws to the sponsors on Old School, and he also does it again on um where uh, he's dissing Space Ghost on Space Hose. It uh, uh, I can go on about the album for for a, a long time, but uh, yeah, and we'll we be right these messages. Yeah, fellas, grab your nutsack, chicks, crazy presses. But uh, anyway, um, yeah. So I guess for me. I wasn't in uh, at that at that stage for me when I was getting into these albums um, in my mid teens. I I did not get them after all. I did get them, and then once that that was like the floodgates open for me. That's when I was looking up anything tagged alternative hip hop, anything tagged abstract hip hop, anything tagged experimental hip hop. I was just like scrounging the internet, finding the most obtuse, most obtuse, most abstract. Because at the time, like. You know, this was the late 2000s. So this was not the bling era. This was the ringtone era. This was yeah. Soul Boy, Chingy, um, where it was just the most simplistic of hip hop um, on the radio constantly. And people's ideas of hip hop was like that. It was just that. So I was really, you know, I was a not that edgy, but still a bit of an edgy, smart, too smart, you know, smarty pants teen. So I was looking for the most left side, left leaning stuff, and that's how I got into, you know, bus driver and anti con and 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 all the other Jeff Def Jux and anything experimental. I was like, this album combines, you know, avant garde jazz with hip hop. This album combines uh, found sounds and 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 some guy, uh, cat sounds with hip-hop i was just trying to find anything and everything the craziest of craziest stuff and so i did actually do an album that combined cat sounds with hip-hop i don't know if that's what you're referring to but oh kind of yeah but uh there's even some other stuff i kind of remember um but it 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 was so i i went from being the dusty old head backpacker to the nerdy um too smart for you Smart, um, smart-headed backpacker. So I went from one super annoying, um, cliche hip-hop fan to another super annoying cliche hip-hop fan at that stage. Yeah, what you're describing with this album is kind of what happened to me with Mad Villainy a little bit afterwards, 
When I got into this album, I really liked it, but it didn't really inspire. Like the stuff it inspired me to check out was like, um, again, my timeline might be a little fucked up at this point. Done a lot of drugs, drank a lot of alcohol, blah blah blah. Since, but uh, so, but um, because I remember getting this, getting me into like I tried a lot of the Def Jux stuff, and we'll get into how I absorbed that when we get into the albums. But what really stuck with me at the time was Mr. Lift's "I Phantom" and Gene Gray's mm-hmm. "Bootleg" of the Bootleg EP. Those were the two releases. I really like everything Gene, by the way. And I want to do a Gene episode at some point. But the Gene bootleg of the bootleg EP, I thought, was just fucking hard-ass rapping. Like, and it feels really cheap to say, well, it's not just good for a girl. Like, you know, that's the most uh, underhanded compliment you could ever pay a female anything. Period. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a yeah, it's a bit of a dirty word, femsy, but it is sort of like you don't want to single out someone for just being a female, and you don't want to put someone on a pedestal just from being a female. But at the same time, it's like you know they need the appreciation that that they deserve. Um, no, I, I would say that they don't get the exposure they deserve. I mean, and I guess it's just a, such a male-dominated art form, and the media that covers it is also male-dominated, so. It was good that she was given media exposure, possibly just as a novice. Like, hey, look, a girl's doing it. But mm. her shit was really fucking good. And also in a completely different way, too. Like, she had a variety of sounds, some stuff way more mainstream, some stuff just as abstract. Probably the best storyteller in the whole scene. Although Elle could have some good story tracks. He would also have some story tracks that completely fucking lose me in their uh, abstract details. His, his way of storytelling... And Aesop's for a while, although Aesop eventually, I think, would become both a sharper writer and I would get more accustomed to his style. Because they both like to tell stories in ways that aren't straightforward rap storytelling. And uh, But I think Jean was a really good straightforward and abstract storyteller, and she'd do a lot of story tracks over the course of her career. So that, and as, speaking of stories, I Phantom, which was a whole rap concept album, which I thought was cool at the time. Like it was, I was still kind of viewing it as a novelty, I guess. Again, you were like a primarily hip-hop listener. I, like, coming from the dusty place... I was coming from it as like a rock listener who got into that sort of hip hop, who was like, okay, well, there's this stuff, which I think is kind of, I don't know how I viewed it. I viewed it as hip hop that wanted to, well, the way it was being covered, at least in the media I was exposed to, was hip hop for people who didn't really listen to hip hop. And I got that some of the time, although clearly that's not what it is. But that's how it was being presented. And I think I bought into that a little bit. And I think some of it also just was trying to, well, it was reactionary, not in a right-wing sort of way, but more in terms, like, because like, I guess, no, I'm not going to go down that road, but fucking, um, it was a reaction to, like you're saying, like, the bling era, like, the mainstream, like, that's what the underground is trying, like, I guess that's been underground hip-hop for all times, is providing something different, because they wouldn't be underground if the mainstream was giving them exposure, so it's got to be a reaction. Yeah, it's it's an art form that started obviously, um, you know, grassroots. It started, so yeah, yeah. It, it was just as you know, following the downfall of um, uh, disco, but also um, politics has always been in, intertwined. You know, it, it was entertainment, it was dance music first, but it, there, there was politics always intertwined. Then, but um, yeah, it's interesting because because essentially what you're describing with you know Gene Gray, Mister Liff, and and um, Canox, it, it's. You know, it's that dirty word, but it is, you know, alternative hip hop is, you know, people argue that that was just a marketing thing created by white people. Other people argue that it is a valid tag that you can put on things that are are different from, you know, go against the grain a little bit. Um, Artists have rejected it. Artists have have, um, um, used it to their advantage. Uh, But 
Yeah, so I guess it, it it's probably is the closest thing, but um, interesting they say, um, you know, coming from a rock perspective, you'll uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming um, you probably be more familiar, you know, with Mars Volta's progressive rock uh, conceptual albums and, and you know, well, that about, sort of... Yeah, and the thing about it, the prog rock stuff is that it's easier for those to hold together very loosely in terms of a concept because... I mean, I guess you're singing all the time. What you're singing about isn't so much as important when a rap album where your words are front and center. Because mm. you're actually more free to be abstract as a rock singer than you are as a hip-hop artist, even if this is quote-unquote abstract rap. So for something like iPhantom to be able to get across its concept so effectively, more it was a lot harder for Lyft to do that than, say, to pick one of my, my favorite Mars Volta albums and something that I think you can go back and forth all day, whether or not it actually holds together as a concept. Francis, the mute because Cedric is a vote. Like, like, I guess Cedric's a weird case to bring up since you brought them up as like a prog, like vocalist. Cause he like genuinely writes nonsense. Like if you play for an average listener, they're like, what the fuck is this guy rambling about? This word salad, nonsense, garbage. But think about like, yes. Think about like Genesis. Like, are you familiar with these names at all? You've never listened to this boomer shit. I'm I'm very much familiar with them, uh, but I don't think I've listened to any of them. But I've, yeah, I, I know like, all of these people. But they can sing about like either they can go into long instrumental passages or they can sing vague generalities. Like to do a rap concept album, you have to engage the listener with your words the entire time and tell a story to a point if that's what you're trying to do or craft a character picture. And for some like something like I Phantom. Like, or, like, Bootleg of the Bootleg, like, Jean Grey starts off the last track on that as a choose-your-own-adventure story, like, as a, about an assassin, and she'd come back to it, like, eventually. It's, like, that's amazing. I'd never seen anybody do that as, like, a rapper or, like, as a musician, period. She literally wrote a choose-your-own-adventure book. Right, and yeah. she did it really, really well. Like, I was with it the whole time, and at the end where it was, like, you get to... Because I was like, this track's 45 minutes long. What the fuck's going to happen? That turns out to be, like, a series of, like track after like a like a mega mix of her going over like other people's beats like freestyles and shit she does all of them great too so like it was just yeah that's mainly where i went from this and it took but my initial point was what you said cold vein did for you is what um mad villainy did for me and to a slightly lesser extent because it was even weirder although it was still mad lib still same label further adventures lord claus which is not the quasimodo album that everybody shits themselves over but was the one that really did it for me so yeah. those were the ones yep. where I was just like, I got to seek out like not only everything that is related to this, every artist that ever worked with them, but every sample that's on here, every influence. I got to find out everything that made this happen, everything that is influenced by this, everything they do after this. That's what happened with that. These were more like when I heard Cold Vein, it was great. I loved it. I knew I was always going to love this album. And then I listened to stuff around it. And really the Gene stuff is mainly what stuck with me. Because I don't even listen to iPhantom. I didn't really listen to iPhantom that much. I really appreciate it. I wonder if it holds up. Maybe I'll listen to that after Danger Doom. But uh, but then I, I didn't really stick with it. I still kept following the artists. Like, Vast uh, never did anything remotely as good. Uh, like, no. even close. Vordal, like, um, never did anything remotely as good. Uh, but still, he, at least he was around Billy Woods in that whole scene, and I need to give that work a little more of a look, because I'm still really, as much as I'm a Billy Woods stan, I don't know his early shit as well as I should. Um, yeah, and then LP, like, you know, we covered this on the Run the Jewels episode to some point. I mean, eventually we'll do a proper LP episode, I guess. I guess. I mean, this is kind of it. 
kind of isn't like I guess yeah we'll get, to, we'll get into some of the albums too like the later stuff like uh sleep when you're dead and cancer for cure like well they'll, they'll come up because we want to talk about the production decisions he would make later where his evolution would go but like i yeah. followed his career and i didn't really start appreciating him as a rapper until sleep when you're dead and even then i was just like this is still a bit much for me i love the production i thought his production was always great and progressive and interesting and different every time out he never repeated himself he wasn't one of those progressive producers who make something once that's mind-blowing and different and then does the same thing over and over again so it's not different and mind-blowing anymore and i'm trying to think of an example of that as like a producer or a band yeah i i, I can't think of any of the top of my head um um you could say damn the automator but not really because he did gorillas too Mm. Yeah, I, I'm. Tr- I'm trying to think. Oh, about he also did Love It. But... Fuck that. He did Loveage, which is amazing and will not appeal to anybody listening to this show. Loveage is like a sarcastic R and like R and B lounge act with like down tempo lounge act with like Mike Patton and Jennifer Charles from Elysian Fields doing like. Well, she Elysian like Jennifer Charles does like genuinely gorgeous female vocals over it. Mike Patton's just creepy and weird. And it sounds like it would be excruciating, but it's actually great. But the, the instrumental version is actually the probably the my. I can't tell if that's my favorite Automator instrumentals that are Octagon. And he also did a much better Tomorrow with Cool Keith. So no, Automator was a terrible example. No, fuck that. Um, <laughs> no, I, I yeah, I I can't. I wouldn't be able to tell off the top of my head, uh, but uh, just to get uh, things okay, we need to get um, back on track. So, um, yeah, just to get back Bane. on track. Let's start with Cold Vein, and I could talk the entire episode. I do an entire episode alone about Iron Galaxy. Everything about yeah. that song, the way it comes in, the sample, those the fucking synth stabs or whatever, the horn stabs that bring it in, like it really feels like the curtains raising, and then the way like uh, "Fuck Baba" won hundred and eight mics. And then the little break, and then the way it, like, the pass, and of course, the best MC pass off in history. And if there's crack in the basement, crackhead stand adjacent, anger displacement from, from food stamp stamp arrangement. arrangement. You was a stillborn baby. Mama didn't want you, but you were still born. Boy meets world, of course, his, of course his pops is gone. What you figure? Matt, that, that is one of is a father figure. Yeah, oh my one God. Of the greatest. Hip hop verses, one of the greatest verses written ever, and and some something interesting that you, you that you mentioned earlier with Mars Volta with hip uh, with with rock and uh, hip hop in general, uh, something really interesting. I can't remember who said this, but someone said I think it might have been Curly Castro on um, Call Out Culture podcast. He mentioned that if you took um, all the lyrics on one hip hop album, that is like a rock or pop musician's entire discography in terms of yes. words because hip-hop is of course it, it it's an art that is based um rap specifically it's an art form that's based on words and putting in words so naturally it's going to be ego driven it, it always annoyed me when people say oh kanye's favorite topic is kanye was like, that describes about 70% of rappers let's be serious most rappers are egocentric most rappers rap about themselves but that's like how the art form sort of it, it's it have it evolved, but it's how it evolved naturally. But yeah, the thing I love about this album is that it takes a little bit of a step away from that. It it's there's not as it it is a bit autobiographical. There's a lot of recounts of um, uh, the vast Aaron Voltomega's lives, um, but it's just the imagery like. 
I I was just going through all the lyrics. Now, this is the first time I sat down and, and with the album and, and read every single song's lyrics. Um, and just like some of the imagery they use and the select words and the the you know the cold and 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 the mechanical and 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 like all these technological words. Um, and and a lot of mention of of animals like that 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 whole which is probably like the biggest the the main central theme of this album is it's that sort of that you know nature my shell found ghost yeah that my ghetto versus, versus mechanics is what you're gonna say I didn't mean to cut you off but I was kind of, I was kind of thinking about that when like thinking about the lyrics it's like there's a very recurring theme of animals like you said but specifically like birds like doves and pigeons yeah. and then it's you have just, like at odds with this mechanical landscape, which is what LP's instrumentals are. Like, they're the most mechanical instrumentals I've ever heard in, in a good way, like, in terms of just sounding, like, not, like, not necessarily futuristic either. Like, they sound, like, dark, dingy, like, clattering metal. They sound like New York streets, New York sewers. If you've it's, never it's, been to New York, it gives you a perfectly formed picture of it combined with what they're saying. It's It, it manages to evoke the bleakness of the ghetto it manages to invoke the hopelessness of like of of like the inner city youth but also it manages to like evoke like that like the like the light at the end of the tunnel and a lot of the tracks where some of the tracks are really really sad and other tracks oh, are yeah. like just gorgeous like beautiful uh but it, i think it's it's a whole like it's like sort of like a also like a mind body dualism um and and the the one thing i like um uh a lot especially and when i was digging into this album um, i was browsing basically uh, on one tab whenever i listened to the album i had one tab i had rap genius and the other tab i had who sampled.com um, and and that's one thing that i noticed about um, um lp's production in this is that he has quite a lot of samples but for one thing he doesn't sample a lot of uh, typical genres you know he doesn't sample soul or jazz or funk really that much. Uh, he samples some funk, funk drum breaks, but he tends to sample a lot of um, movie soundtracks. He samples prog uh, electronics. Mm-hmm. Brian Eno uh, samples a little bit of prog rock. But the most interesting thing about it, he samples the intros and the outros of, a tracks, of the tracks a lot. And if you listen to some of the songs that he samples, they're mostly just like, kind of like art pop kind of songs. Like some of Brian Eno's more... Um, rock and pop uh later stuff if you listen to those songs in the middle you know it sounds like a you know sort of like a new wave track but then the intros and songs and the outros of songs it, it's almost like those are where the artists and the producers love to experiment the most mm-hmm. so he grabs those chunks um with like really atmospheric even like queen they have a queen song uh that he samples he grabs like the most atmospheric starts or the ends and then he makes that as the basis of the whole track. And it's just like stretches it out. And it, it just makes like, I don't know how to describe it. It's just like angelic or something. And, and Well, and there's then. one moment. Um, it's actually not on the proper album, but it's on instrumentals, which actually might be. This is a fun little Easter egg or fun fact, I guess, for the dedicated listener, all one of you, who's probably our producer, Kitten Puke, who's listened to all of the episodes. Uh, because I'm always bitching about how I want instrumental versions of albums. And I think the very first full instrumental of an album I listened to was Oxtrumentals. Mm. When I was looking for it on Soulseek, well, Cold Vein, it also came up in somebody's folder. I was like, might as well download that too. Um, mm. It might have been that, or it might have been um, Liquid Swords, which is also a good companion, which also I think, by the way, was a reference point for how LP wanted this album to sound. 
Because that's another album that sounds like New York in a cold, metallic sort of way. Oh, definitely, definitely, yeah, yeah definitely, yeah. There's um quite quite a few parallels. That album is not as atmospheric, but some tracks. Are oh, definitely but I didn't mention. Very... I'm sorry. I just wanted to get back to my point real quick. My favorite moment. Yep. I, I started then. I didn't finish it. It's on um Painkiller at the very end, where it does that little thing. It's almost like a heart monitor dropping off, and then it like beeps out at the on the album. That's the end of the song. On Oxtramental, there's like a little thirty second bonus beat at the end of that. That's like one of the most beautiful things I ever heard. Mm. So if you ever get Oxtramentals, listen to Painkiller and listen to the end of Painkiller. There's like, I don't know if that's a sample. He's just letting play out for like a little bonus treat or something, or if it's just like another beat that he threw on there. That's not, I don't know if there are any other moments like that on Oxtramentals, which by the way, I highly recommend. And I, that's one thing I do appreciate about LP is he always, where the fuck are the RTJ4 instrumentals, by the way? Because the instrumentals were better than the raps on that album. Except for now. Except for Walking in the Snow, one of the best songs of the year. But and I love PJ Four, but I love the instrumentals, and I only liked the rapping. I'll be completely honest. Um, you didn't listen to it. No, no, no. I have, I have. Um, I'll be completely honest though. Um, in terms of LP's production, past Fantastic Damage, I go from loving it to liking it. Honestly. Mm. All RTJ albums, all we'll get into this a bit later. But um, um, after Fantastic Damage, you know the, the Cancer for Cure and um, I'll Sleep When You're Dead. There's, there's, I, I, I don't know how to describe it. Something about his pre I'll Sleep When You're Dead instrumentals. There's something a bit more grimy. There's something a bit more uh, like rust, rustic. There's something a bit more raw and like. Um, uh, something a bit more raw about them, but after they're that... They're more unpolished. They're more unpolished. I think they're coming from, from a more hip-hop place. The RTJ stuff, it's funny that we keep going back to the rock comparison, because I think the RTJ stuff has a lot of a rock. Like, they openly do, like, at least one sort of, like, indie rock or rock feature on their albums, like, um, Until the Ribbon Breaks on the first one. They have that early... I don't know if that guy is, like, an indie rock guy or a neo soul guy, Bones or whatever. Not that Bones. But, um... You know what I'm talking about was up again early. It sounded like a rock song, like an indie rock sort of hook to me. Like it would have fit on how I got over or something. And that's not a diss or anything. It's just a different thing. And then you had Josh Hom on the most recent one home, whatever you want to say. And so, and I feel like the beginning of LP doing overtly rock influence stuff. I mean, he was always sampling from rock bands. Obviously that was a big part of his listening. Like otherwise it wouldn't have been a big part of his sampling all the way back here was he worked with Mars Volta and Trent Reznor on um, Sleep When You're Dead. Mm. It's one of yep. my favorite LP songs, the Flyantology remix. Right. Uh, Trent okay. Reznor. I love that. That was actually when I started reevaluating out as, I, as a solo artist. Because I always loved Cold Vein. I always will. But yeah, again, like I tried the L solo stuff. And, and we'll get to it when we get to it. And uh, my initial impression of it was, and we're, not, we're by far not done with Cold Vein. We haven't even talked about anything other than Iron we, Kelly. We have. We barely. We barely touched Colvin. We barely touched Colvin. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think we're both a bit too excited. <laughs> Just a bit all over the map with, with all of this. Guys. 
But uh, yeah, so this happens like the fucking lyricism on uh, this album. An Iron Galaxy gets you so primed for it. It gets you the, there's a definite contrast between the way Vordal and and Vast rap, which is great. Like Vordal's more of a traditional on beat, like he prefers to stay on beat, like rappers do. Whereas that's less important to Vast. But Vast is more like the gravity behind his words, because that Vast Air verse will stick with you for the rest of your life when you've heard it. When he goes in the end where he's like roaches on the floor, rats in the ceiling, cats walk around New York with two fit like the way he builds up that fucking like tension and it explodes at the end and then like l fades it out with that super like that a computer is dying a robot is getting shot scr- like like modem is f- fading out scratchy noise like mm. that is fucking unforgettable one of the best yeah. if not the best album intro of all time fuck, fuck you if you disagree Oh yeah, uh, one of the best hip hop songs of all time, it, and that's the thing. Yeah, um, the, it's so it's so interesting because their styles um, really do contrast each other. Because um, it it it's a, it sounds a bit corny, but it's almost like the 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 background of you know rap rhythm and poetry. It's almost as if like Vortal is taking the rhythm side of stuff, and Vassar is taking the poetry side of stuff. Right, I like that. Like yeah, Vassar. He he uses because because with with poetry, but in in, in um, rap in particular can basically you can into sound and non-sound based um, poetic devices. You know where where Vortal he takes a sound based one. He does tons of alliteration. He has assonance and the co- consonants and stuff like that, um, and and the rhythm um, and has the multisyllabic and, and and the scheme of the couplets, all that sort of stuff. Where that's there. Uh, if you, I'm, I'm sure you've definitely seen uh, the documentary. Um, the deaf deaf jocks and and I think a bit of a making of Cole Van documentary. It's a really short video on YouTube. Um, and if you listen to how Vast Air talks, he talks exactly like he raps on this album. Yeah, <laughs> he does. He talks really slow and he carefully enunciates every word. And he has, with the natural flow of his conversation, he has this cadence. With the words and the way that he speaks, and that leads to the on the album. That leads to maybe the best joke on the album, where it's, "Oh my God, I said the same word twice." Yeah, Last air. I'm twice, and twice then he restarts the verse, and then corrects himself. I love that. I love that shit. Oh uh, yeah, and, and and like he he switches between talking and rapping, and he sounds almost the same. But it's just like some some of the words he says is just like boom, just hits you on the head, like. You were stillborn, baby. Mother didn't want you, but you were stillborn. In terms of rapping, that is that's like you know, one of the best rap lines of all time. Like that's so I put that up against your favorite line from Illmatic. Like that is so good. Like that, that's a world in a fucking line right there. Like like in terms of rhyming, his rhyming stillborn was stillborn, right? But like that doesn't even matter. Like just what he's saying. And then next he rhymes what's your figure, and then with father figure, but then like. When but that's look figure at, and figure. That's a good little double double entendre. Exactly. Figure. Exactly. And, and, and then and, he then he like goes into it with stencil, like a figure and stencil. An out, and that's like a, outline. Yeah, yes. figure, outline, stencil. Yeah, it's just incredible. But then he goes out of it and says, let's talk in layman terms. Like he's like, I've been d- being too abstract. But then he goes back into poetry, like fucking metaphor shit. And like, yeah. ver- and like, so he's like being sarcastic. Let's talk in layman terms. And then, but then he's like also talking about like, you know, the city of New York, like rotten apples, like the big apple. So it's like, you should understand it. Like, and layman, yeah. like rot, like the, who are the laymen? The laymen are the people who live in the city. 
Yeah. And, and just like the, the, you know, big worms, birds, poachers, mm-hmm. uh, vultures, dog, eat dogs, a pigeon can't drop shit. Like just the, yeah. like the, an, the animal imagery is, is all over this album. And it's just. But who's the worst animal? A cannibal. It eats its own. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. What, what, what was that from? No, I just, thought, I mean, I, was, I just thought of that, but I oh, probably oh, that was your book. Okay, that, that actually sounds from if 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 you came up with that, that that's a hot ass bar. I mean, I just thought of that, but I'm probably just like unconsciously stealing like Carlos Mencia claimed he did. But I literally just <laughs> thought of that. Um, that's bars, man. But and and he has a math pun. He has a, I, I can't believe. It. Like I rest my head on. Like first he starts off with numbering. It's like you know, broken forty bottles. I rest my head on 115th, uh, which is 115th Street in Harlem. The miracles only happen on 34th, so, you know, miracle on 34th Street. And then he says, uh, I remember um, saying this. <laughs> I remember saying, this is how nerdy I am. I remember um, talking outside of math class, and, and um, I used to talk hip-hop, and one, one of, like, this nerdy guys was asking me, he was saying, like, oh, it would be fun if someone makes a uh, rap song about math. And I was like, this line, like, immediately came up to me, and I was like, so I guess life is mean, and death is a median, and purgatory is a mode that we settle in. He's like mean using median mode. He's using like you know mathematical, like statistical terms, but like what if you break that down? So life is mean, life is average, death is a median, death is in the middle point between. So there's life before death and life after death, and then purgatory is a mode that we settle in. So every, so most people settle in like a state of purgatory. It's just. You can read into that in so many different ways, and like the way that it it sounds nerdy on surface, but then when you read that, you're like, that is like, it is poignant. Like it, it's I didn't even it took me a while to get the math pun because I notoriously hate the shit out of math, even though it's a pretty obvious math pun. But it's it, just because it's the obvious pun. It's like there's so much beneath the surface, and it's such a deep statement, like you said, the way you broke that down, which was excellent. And then he goes into the Eve's Bayou reference, which if you've never seen that movie, it's incredible. And it's about like uh, voodoo, and um, it's been a while since I've seen it. It was Roger Ebert's best movie in '97, which is why I sought it out. And it's an incredible fucking movie. And I know it's about like voodoo and like life after death, so it's a really appropriate reference to go right after there. And I think it's about a child who can read her father's thoughts. Possibly, I don't know. I might, I might be getting that one wrong, but that's what I get from the next bar. And then he goes into that incredible ending that I was talking about, where he just builds up everything where he's talking about, where he feels like he's literally engulfing everything, all the forgotten people in New York, into one verse and spitting it the fuck out, and says his name, and then the song plays out. Yeah, fucking amazing and, song. If you don't like this song, you can't listen to the fucking podcast. And the the, the other thing about this song is that. I remember, um, like when that—that's probably one of the first verses that really hit me. When I was younger, I used to love Vast Air, and I really was meh on Vortal because I was like, he's super monotone, he's super like syllable lyrical miracle. Like if you want to like really dumb it down, like you know, he's super syllable lyrical miracle. Um, so I kind of just ignored what he was saying, but like, and he's super cryptic, like he's really esoteric and. This is something also I, I realized about this album, and I think um, Alaska is, of course, part of the um, um, Adams family who Vortal and Vassar was part of before Cannibal Ox. Um, he said that uh, Vortal Mega freestyled a lot of these um, songs, except I think one of the only few in songs um, verses that he did was this. 
these verses on um, Iron Galaxy and I think maybe Pigeon and Scream Phoenix. I think mm-hmm. Pigeon was the first song they wrote and then and then Iron Galaxy and then Scream Phoenix. And you can tell uh, when listening to this album what is a freestyle and what is not. Because on Iron Galaxy and Scream Phoenix, he has this like um, this cadence, like, like I don't really call it, like phrasing some of it. It's like da 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 da. You know, um, grab mic, five mic, mic drive, type ill is life real. Yo, yo, I keep yeah. when life don't spin, world wins, my blood sense. And like when you first listen to that, it's like really hypnotic to the point where like you might, might like hypnotic to the point where you might drown it out. But then like when you read into it, you're like, wait a minute, what what is he saying? But also like the, once again, like his imagery is incredible, and he he packs in a lot of the five percent like. Supreme Alphabet and Supreme Mathematics, you know, mm-hmm. God, Chill, Star, See, Allah, Be the Light of Shema, Word, Shema, See, Saifa, Allah. And then um, he says stuff about like um, like all, all these numbers and number nine and, and number eight and three, six, oh, eight. Like it's really, really esoteric. Like it's, it's not just complex, but it's like esoteric. It's like, yeah, it's made for. You know, people in New York, like if you're like, you have to be a black guy in New York in that time to like, and you have to probably have some sort of idea of like 5% nation wisdom and, and teaching, see if I understand what the hell he's talking about. You got to do and, the knowledge, God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and one thing I also found out, I don't know if, if, if you saw this on Genius, but uh, Vortal Mega's um, second verse, he says, what does he say? Um, spinning three six a wave. See if I blew the door. Number eight, summer face tank top with a nut. Number nine said, run the place. Took my girl stereo CD plus the tape. Broke star, don't wet that. Fuck the face. Let's stuff the place. Jet back to Santa Cruz, California. IA. He's talking. You, you know who? What he's talking about? Or who he's talking about? Absolutely not. No. I found I a. Never um, did. I never did. I I was like, that's just over my fucking head. Who is he talking about? Uh, someone annotated this um, and linked a passion, passion-wise um, interview with Billy Woods, and he's talking about Billy Woods' Jewish social justice girlfriend who introduced <laughs> Billy Woods, introduced Billy Woods to Vortal Mega. So apparently, like the girl, like the girl who lived in Santa Cruz, California, and, and um, someone broke into her place and took her stereo and CDs and tapes, and it's just like, <laughs> like That's they run deep, like. like Billy Woods and Vortal Mega, like, they go back. I, th- I think Billy Woods said, like, Vortal Mega is, like, um, his mentor. Like, he's the one who, like, really told him. I think, uh, like, Billy Woods would share his lyrics with Vortal Mega, and Vortal was like, yeah, nah, you, you really uh, should work on this. Um, so, yeah. Oh, he- yeah. If you listen to, um, it's called uh, Hideous uh, Cowardly Threats and Hideous Something. I don't know. It's like a compilation of early Woods. Vortal's all over it. And yeah, I've heard um, they talk about that. I think they even talk about that on like the Shrine episode and stuff. But uh, of, uh, call out culture. And, and that's the thing, like this, this, these verses, and then on screen face where he has like a, a specific phrasing, where and his lyrics are written to like to, to fit like the stanzas of the rhythm. Uh, but other songs, you could tell it's a freestyle because he's rapping a little bit slower. He's spacing his words out a bit because yeah. you know his thoughts. And it's it's funny in those moments he sounds more like Billy Woods, like, like, I can't remember what verse I was like, this sounds exactly like, like, Billy Woods way. Would like, you say that there's a direct line, I mean, obviously the direct line from Vortal to Woods, would you say the direct line from Canox to Arm and Hammer, because 
Uh, mm. Going back to what you're saying about poetry, I would say that Elucid is definitely a more esoteric, and uh, oh, you're, I know you're talking about Bordel being more esoteric than Bass, but in terms of delivery, Elucid definitely is a lot less of a I'm going to stay on beat and rap rapper than Woods, and yeah. takes a lot more chances. It's going to be a lot more off putting. And um, so, yeah, and they're both a duo. It's it's but, yeah. Uh, like they always get paint. Like every Arm and Hammer album is said to sound like the Cold Vein and some degree. It's like oh, it's a post-industrial soundscape, even when it's not. Like Shrines was. So it, yeah, instrumentally, like a, instrumentally they're quite different. But um, uh, like their approach to hip hop, uh, their approach to rapping, it's very similar relationship. Like Billy Woods, who's ironically yeah, he's is more uh, directly inspired by Vital Mega, but Billy Woods is he he is kind of like that's there in arm and hammer where he it's more about what he's saying and, and like like he spaces out his words he it, it's almost like he's just he's like an un, like an angry uncle ranting at you and like scolding <laughs> where where um um elucid is like elucid is like like a like like a guy reading angrily reading a list of phrases at you that like he he's like He's reading them so angrily at you that, like, you can't even tell what he's saying. But you're just like, okay, yeah. Sometimes yeah. he's angrily calling you through like a rotary phone because it's really distorted, or he's calling yeah. you through like a pay, like a prepaid phone that is running out of minutes. So he's saying everything really fast so he can get it in before his minutes run up. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, it, it yeah, they're, they're definitely a um, big influence. Um, uh, you can definitely tell between um, uh, Canox and um, this album, the three. I want to say, probably Funk Crusher has the most um, uh, influence. Like when you start really tracing things back, but Cannibal Ox, um, the Cold Vein, definitely has like the most felt um, influence in terms of like direct source of inspiration for a lot of um, alternative, abstract, experimental, whatever left field hip hop artists. Like a lot of people are like, "Yep, Cold Vein, Cold Vein," but a lot of people. I just kind of want to talk about individual songs, though. Like, the F-word, one yep. I gravitated towards instantly. And I think very few, if any other rap song, has actually gotten this topic right. Because imagine someone doing this on 2020. This would be like an incel anthem. Like, it would not fucking work. But they make it work really well. Imagine, imagine this in 2001 in the underground where, like, the, like the mainstream was macho uh, and and glamorous, one but so was the underground to an extent. Like it, you know, it, it was it was you know braggadocious. It was you know fuck the mainstream and, and you know we're we're real and we're hardcore. That they, they were that to a certain extent. So yeah, for 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 them to make a song about being friend zoned and it, you know nothing abstract about it at all. And other than probably you know idea and um, atmosphere, yeah, there there wasn't too many, especially black. Uh, rappers right. tackling sort of songs yeah atmosphere was another one that i tried when after this album and he's still by the way kind of leaves me cold the only slug release that i really resonates with me is uh felt too i mm. i like the yeah i like what he, there are individual songs i like um overcast i i like but it's much it's a bit much for me slug's just a bit much for me i he's incredibly talented he's a very good writer but over the course of a whole project, it just wears on me. And somebody very early on, a friend of mine, actually a girl I had an incredible crush on in high school. She wasn't from my high school. Of course she wasn't because my high school was a cult. But um, she was into this shit. 
one of the reasons I had a cold crush on her. And she pointed out Slug's kind of a snitch. The shit mm. he talks about in some of his stories, he's dry snitching on people, sometimes overtly snitching on people. Right. Well, and females or in his past or what? Uh, kind of both, if you think about it. Like, what he, like, I mean, he's telling personal stories. I can't think of any examples off the top of my head, but like some of the shit he probably shouldn't be putting on record. I don't know. Like, right. I'll, I'll be honest. I've not listened to much atmosphere. I've listened to only like a couple. I know they're like, essential um backpacker but i maybe only listened to a couple of um it's been a uh, long time since i've listened to it and that was just something that turned me off at the time i'm like you know what you're right Mm. and that seems like maybe he should have been a better writer and found a way to talk about these topics without being so overt about it and Mm. so and but yeah i mean i respect slug as a person overall and not the i'm sure that doesn't matter to him and like fucking like i think he's really talented but his music just never hit me like he's obviously very important obviously very influential and good for him he hasn't been me too yet i'm like every other rapper in that movement <laughs> in that area yeah yeah so, that's true oh uh, what else on this album um the beginning uh, of battle of asgard is one of my favorite beats ever and i can do without most okay here's where we fight Every feature except for Alaska on this can go. Wait, Battle of Asgard or Atom? Oh, that, the whole album. Every feature except for Alaska on the whole album can go. Um, I don't need them. I, I, I was going to bring up the LP features a bit later. Uh, but uh, I, don't mind, I don't mind him well, on uh, Straight Off the Dick or DIC, uh, whatever. Mm. But um, on Ridiculoid, I, that was the one thing that turned me off at my first listen. I'm like, yeah, you shut up. Like no, <laughs> shut up. Honestly, um, I have no idea um, on ridiculous. Like I went, I read the lyrics multiple times. Played verse. I have no idea what the hell LP is talking about because <laughs> his his style of abstract hip hop is very different to Cannibalox. Cannibalox is all about metaphors and um, and imagery and um, but also it, it's very grounded. With LP, he's We'll get into that, but LP, he's very scatterbrained. Um, like he'll talk about one thing, and, and then in, in, and he'll it, next line will be something completely different. Next line about something completely different, and then like he'll end towards, and he'll, he'll say something like, you know, that's below any self-respecting actress in a German scheisse film who gobbled <laughs> donkey dick and human feces. It's like, well, <laughs> all right, <laughs> which. Honestly, I, I, we'll get into this later with fantastic damage because I have a lot of reason for why. He does this, but I'm not a huge fan of the LP versus on these. Um, what's the other one? Is on Ox at the Cage. Oh, is it either straight off the dick or Ox out the Cage? I don't remember off the top of my head, but yeah, honestly, I don't have that much to say about about them. I I just love LP's voice, no matter oh, okay. where, where. Yeah, his voice I is made for rapping. See, like I disagree. I found it obnoxious. At first, it took me a long time to not find it obnoxious. I get the appeal, and now I like it. Took RTJ for me to really get the appeal. Um, it's, I mean, I started getting it around sleep when you're dead. Like, I, I think it took slowing down for me to get the appeal more because he does have a really good rap voice. But before, I didn't so much get the appeal of, and we'll get way more into it when we talk about Fun Crusher because I think Fun Crusher is a different LP there, but it makes me understand why he rapped the way he rapped. Yeah, and and but yeah, the the other thing that uh, he does well, for one thing, he definitely changes style up a lot. Um, uh, after 
after fantastic damage, pretty much. Um, he, he changes his style up a lot where he's wrapping much more on beat, he's wrapping on pocket. And the other thing is, the one thing that really was really hard to get from for me to get through a little bit on, on um, the cold vein, but a lot of fantastic damage is all the vocal post production he does. He does tons of punch ins to the vocals, he does tons of like. Um, reverbs he does overlays he does like overdubs where it's like multiple takes of like the same verse and instead of just like laying them on top of each other he he like cuts one take in um and overlaps and like the end of the other i don't know how to describe it properly i think no i know what you're talking about he's a very busy producer i think that's why he got along so well with trent Reznor and they work together they're both producers who can't stop like like tinkering with things they always have to add a little bit more to their productions a little bit more to their songs yep and, and that's why i think um uh going back to atom going back to the features alaska's verse is personally one of my favorite verses of all time but cryptic mm-hmm. verse cryptic's verse um honestly i think it's fan- it's a fantastic verse when you read into it again his imagery is amazing but um the, the what kills Cryptic's verse is I hate to say it, but it's LP's vocal editing where he edits over the vocals so much he has like lines spilling over other lines that like it kind of makes you tune out of what he's saying. But like Cryptic one, so he, he's part of the Adams family. He's a producer and rapper. He's a really good producer and a really good rapper. Like like if if you listen, he he has a few albums um, where he raps. Uh, but he also has there's a Adams Fam released a compilation I think maybe a year before um, Cold Vein um, where um, they all have verses um, and Cryptic does most of the beats. He's really good, but like even his verse, like some of the imagery um, uh, that he has, uh, like animal references like about birds and worms and livestock and beast beast of burdens and primates and and he says something like um intent ain't to reinvent the spinning wheels of time just to enjoy the bumpy rides and improve upon his design like he's talking a lot about like the art form of 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 hip-hop and and like he also says something like you know i've learned even tidy birds come to eat from it Early bird gets the worm, but the early worm finds a spot in the early bird's stomach and can't escape it. Like he he it, like he's a writer. Like it's a really I, good verse. But I'll give it, it another is, shot. Like it always everything other than Alaska in terms of features. It like I almost felt like this is like part of the power of the album was only hearing Bass and Bortle. And if you had Alaska in the spot where he's like I'm where he's like the AZ on Life's a bitch role, where he's like oh, yeah. future, that would give it even more power. Because it's such yeah. a good verse and it deserves that kind of notoriety. Uh, but yeah, like all the other features that aren't L on Ridiculoid are good. L on Ridiculoid, I'm just like, the fuck is this guy talking about? <laughs> uh, that's my one low point on the album. Uh, yep. Speaking of Bortle, like you were talking about him as like, you know, more of just like a flow rapper. Or like clearly some of the stuff was freestyled. I don't know if Stress Rap was one of the freestyled ones. It feels like it, but it's one of the best freestyles ever if it was. Just like the way his flow on that is incredible. And yeah. the way it's like, they have concept songs that should be like preachy, but aren't like stress rap is just, I mean, like it's a loose concept about being feeling stress, which is a good, like kind of universal feeling to build a song around. But then you have something like painkiller, which I guess is, I guess they're good. Like, I mean, F word is more of a direct, like a more of a specific theme, but like, they're good at taking like, they, they have abstract songs, but they're better at, they're also good at like 
finding universal themes and taking their abstract approach and applying these universal themes so that once you start to decode the lyricism, you realize what they're talking about can apply to anybody. Stress rap, yeah. killers, like, and then you I mean, have like the straight up rap bragging too. It's like they're doing stuff yeah. that's actually not that esoteric. I mean, they have esoteric lines, but at the heart of it, they're speaking to the universal condition. And that's part of the reason this album's so enduring. That's right. And it, it, even the track Painkillers, like you can take it to be about painkillers. It can be about any drugs. It can be about, you know, over the top, under the top, illicit, non illicit drugs. Uh, like you can interpret, um, especially at Vortals. Uh, that's when, like, that's definitely one I think he, he written and not freestyled um, uh, in that one. But but yeah, it is it's it's very it's very grounded, um, and that's where um, painkillers is one where um, vocal um, LP's vocal trickery actually adds to it because mm-hmm. at the start of it verse he has like um, uh, these effects added to the vocal verse. Um, the way it sounds like he's sort of rapping over the phone, and he gives it like a really cool psychedelic sort of hazy lethargic effect. Which sort of fits the theme, and um, yeah. But um, sorry, uh, we're jumping all over the place. But Adam, yeah, Alaska's verse, man, that is. Uh, personally, I'm in in terms of rapping. Um, I care personally more about, like earlier, I was talking about the sound and the non-sound based stuff. I'm a much more fan of the sound over the non-sound based stuff, because to me, writing in 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 rap is not super unique to rap like writing in terms of like what is this person saying that's sort of, that's something that is like across all boards of poetry pop rock whatever all genres of music what makes rap special is it is these these audio stuff it, it is you know uh, a lot of cats pop shit a pop apocalypse top of propaganda force fed to the populism authority on the gamut from a standard it, it, it's 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 the extreme abundance of like the alliteration and the ass and it's like people can easily dismiss like people listen to that um verse and easily dismiss it as oh he's just rhyming for the sake of riddling or or he's just you know oh spiritual lyrical miracle whatever and you know oh p p p here and then it's a a a here and but that's what makes hip-hop so exciting and that's what makes rap unique like that's what makes rap stand out as an art form like you can't see this abundance of balance between meaning and also technique and also like like oral like oral pleasure um in any other art form and and like when people dismiss this kind of rapping as being you know abstract for the sake of being abstract or like oh i just want to you know this just you know trying to sound smart to me, that's such a sweeping, such a massive thing under the rug. Because like Alaska's verse here, first of all, like like the alliter- the alliteration assonance is just bananas. Like you said, perfect comparison with AZ on Life's a Bitch. Mm-hmm. But like when you read what he says, like once again, it's really really poignant. Like like he's he's once again similar to what Cryptic was talking about in the other song. He's talking about like being unconventional. Like he's talking about what does he say? Like um, my process accomplished through perseverance. Every man is not my brother, regardless of appearance. Apprehension clouds the spirit. Tension prepares us from ascension. Man is at his best is when he's breaking chains of of, of conventions. A convenient covenant, covenant for conception. You know, we're all from the same mold. Spores of bacteria told me inferior. Others ignore hysteria. It's like he he's talking about like 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 not only is he. Packing in a lot of poetic 
techniques, but he's also every word like he's saying something. No, and like this is the, not like rhyming for the sake of riddling because everything no. is a statement. Also, there's jokes in there. He ends it on a joke about himself, a passively aggressive testament. That's how I'm repping shit. He's like, yeah. making fun of himself at the end. Like he's making brag. Everything's a brag, but it's sat like it's crafted in a way and delivered in a way that it's just so fucking artic, like artful. Like this is it's, it done as an art form. But the reason that like super lyrical miracle gets the fucking reputation that it does is because of things like I always bring this up. The fucking there's a freestyle battle where cannabis is battling and he gets beaten so bad, but he had like pages and pages of like computer paper like old school <laughs> yeah. computer paper that he has to bring out and he wants to just read his bars and they're just like the most nonsense like you know read out like he literally just probably had a fucking thesaurus with him and was just coming up with, yep. like and the shit does not cohere line to line and he wrote it out on fucking like old long sheet computer paper he just wants to spit his bars at this guy in his raspy sewer lizard voice and that, yeah. that or some or the death to mumble rap cover where it's like some scowling white kid on a hoodie and you in a hoodie on youtube talking about how mumble rap ain't rap and so then he has all this shit where it's like so many like triple time but again nothing means anything everything he's saying means something here and then you have something mm. like prince poe in his prime also could do this shit like, mm. there are people who are really fucking good at it who can do it. That, but so it's been cheapened, so it's become a cliche. Yeah. But, but you know what? Even, uh, I'll be honest, uh, even when they're not saying anything, even when, when, when like, some rappers are You just are like flexing, the sound of this style of rap. I, I just love the sound of it. Like, um, you, are you familiar with um, Edan? Uh, I'm sure you've heard him on some features. Oh, of course. Edan. Beauty and uh, the Beat. Beauty and the Beat, Primitive Plus, yeah. Primitive Plus, Beauty and the Beat is... is Two of my favorite albums. He has one song called Syllable Practice. And this song, like, it's literally like he, he says, where, like his intro, where he says, um, Right now, what I'm going to do is a song called Syllable Practice. And I'm not saying anything significant, but it's just battle rhymes and it's just going to sound pr pretty. And then, he, you know, he's just saying, you know, the renegade radical demonstrates battle, build, battle drill efficiency and dedication to placement of syllable soils directly where umbilical. Like, he's not saying anything particularly pointing anything but this is what rap is like it it is like like you know meaning is honestly kind of over, overrated that this i is would how disagree with that statement but i mean there's a place for what you're saying um as far as eden go edan whatever goes i got i listened to him when i was in my big stone throw binging phase and i don't remember like i remember really liking the instrumentals and thinking his rapping was good enough but a little too self-consciously throwbacky the song i remember really liking by him was called fumbling over words that rhyme mm. yeah that's an excellent song but i don't know i i freaking love it you know like primitive I'll give his shit another listen i will it's been a long time since i listened to his stuff i will give it another listen he has beauty in the beat primitive plus and doesn't he have another one or are those the only two those are the main two. He he oh, released. Didn't he do something with Homeboy Sandman recently that sucked? Uh, I, hate I did not listen to it. I don't think he raps. I think he raps on maybe a couple songs and then yeah, rest but the beat like um, I don't know. But the beats were kind of not great on that. It was just weirdly like mainly Sandman sucked on that. The beats were interesting, but it was like also weirdly mixed. It was not great. I had expectations for that because I was like, Edan hadn't done anything in a while, and Sandman can be great, but he's super inconsistent. He's one of those dudes who can do that style, by the way. He can do that shit really well. Have you ever heard uh, The Carpenter? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've heard um, that album that, that was at The Good Sun or something years ago, like 20... Yeah, I don't know when it came out. Um, I, I like um, Homeboy Sandman. Not a big fan. 
Um, he sounds. He has, good, he has really good projects, and he has projects that can do without. Like he's definitely a really, really good rapper, but sometimes his shit doesn't translate for me. Yep. But yeah, with 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 Adan, um, with that song "Silver Practice," it sort of will tie in later, specifically with Funk Rusher Plus, and how that sort of shaped how I look at hip hop and art in general. Where I just think that like meaning is. When it's properly done, it's it's excellent and it adds additional layers. But sometimes it can be a bit of a crutch, which which sounds a bit. Um, I I would actually agree with that. I would agree with that. If you're really yep. like trying too hard to mean something, and but because you don't have something to actually say musically, if that makes sense, or yeah, if you're just it, not like, yeah, if the music itself isn't interesting, so you have the need to artificially inflate it by inflate uh in inserting a me an art of uh surface level meaning into it or not even sur- like trying to feel up here deeper than you are i guess it's it, yeah it's all about intention and there's no such thing as bad idea necessarily it's all about intention ex- and, and execution like if your intention is not to have meaning and and you don't but everything else is fantastic then then the the end sort of justify the means um but anyway uh, that was a Probably like um, the fifteenth digression, but um, yeah. yeah Alas, anything else first, about amazing. Old Man? I mean, I know we can go on forever about like the instrumentals. Um, I think are, I have who sampled up now actually on your recommendation. Um, mm. Some of these, yeah, like Raspberry Fields were my favorite beats on here. That's got all the it's a bed of bed of Eno samples, all from. Like, would that be another Green World seventy three? Um, uh, sorry, no, sorry. I don't think so. I don't recognize these song titles. Where the fuck are these Eno samples from? Uh, from I think was it come here come the jets or something like that here, here come the warm jets yes here come the warm jets hey so, Sam yeah, that's, a, that's a really nice uh, obs- I guess that would be obscure for a hip hop sample for sure yeah and he samples um uh, and Raspberry Field that um there's like bagpipes and there's like all these like vocal experiments that that's um Laurie Anderson um amazing album um. I don't know if you heard the song "Oh Superman" or "Sweaters." Um, what's the name of the 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 album? Incredible album! It's like experimental art pop, um, and she does like a lot of. I think she's she was David Bowie's uh, wife. Big Science is the name of the album, nineteen eighty two. Um, it's like one of the fun avant garde albums, if, if if that sort of makes sense. Um, but he samples a song "Sweaters" where. Um, She's doing like vocal experiments and also this bagpipes with some people. That's probably the worst sound ever, but like he uses that in raspberry fields and it's just, and then he mixes that with Brian Eno heavy effect guitar samples from mm-hmm. yeah, here, here come the warm jets. Um, I think it's like, yeah, two Brian Eno samples and one is an intro, one is an outro. And then he has like these stuttering drums on top and it's just, incredible and then there's like amazing interlude in the middle between that's there and and vortals versus it's lp yeah lp man he he put his, like, he oh, put no, his he, yeah and he also pulls out some uh i mean the, we do get a few hip-hop samples on here um on ridiculous uh, he salt and pepper actually uh for the my, salt and pepper album and then a very famous gangstar song on real earth so uh, Ridiculoid actually does not sound hardly anything like a hip hop beat, so that's interesting that he really put us uh, such an old school hip hop sample on there and transformed it so much. I was thinking about how there are very few albums that sound hip hop albums that sound this metallic. Like there's some Dalek stuff that does, 
And there's oh, yeah. one comparison that I'm not making this because it's something I'm going to say later in the podcast, but it's called, it's a fucking Young Jeezy mixtape called Trapper Die 2 that has mm. a super fucking metallic sound to it for like the production on that, I think would interest you even if the rapping wouldn't. But even, you don't even like that sound of like that style of production. So I don't think it, you would really appreciate it. So I've, I've warmed up to trap, but I think my cutoff for when I is starting enjoying trap music is probably like around 2015. Oh, yeah, 2013, really, actually. Really late, so yeah, trap before late. that. Trap before that sounds so cheap and so plastic and so Casio keyboard preset that I, I hate that sound so much. Uh, but that's, that's a conversation for another time. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, like the, like the way. He, but just looking at some of these samples and what and like then thinking about the songs they become. L mm. just fucking did some work on this shit, man. He. Yeah really transforms all of this into a really cohesive incredible just thematic no other album truly sounds like this it's like octagon it's like um mm. deltron like deltron in that way even though i don't rate deltron as highly as a lot of other people I, I admit it sounds incredibly of it like like nothing else sounds like it it's mm. the, nothing else the only, sound like it the only album before this um Released on September 11, 2001, is uh, Brotherhood of the Bomb by Techno Animal, uh, which mm, was just released the year before this, which featured Vast Air and um, uh, LP, was it? Yeah, LP, Vast Air and Dialect and Anti Pop Consortium and Sonic Sum, which is Rob Sonic, and, um, and Rubber Room. So that was released a year before this, but that was essentially, um, you know, Kevin Martin, Justin Broderick, but they're two dub slash electronic slash ambient slash industrial techno producers from london who who you know took that um uh um influence and applied that to make their approach to hip-hop uh, now that sounds way more like you know that that is very much like 100 percent industrial uh, yeah, I, but, uh, I need to revisit that album because i love techno albums re-entry is actually one of my favorite albums of all time and I really? never really, like, I was only 50-50 on the features on the next one. So I think I listened to it once. And I wasn't in a very good mood, and I wasn't really in the mood for the album, at least. So I didn't really give it a full listen. So I need to revisit that one, because Reentry is one of my favorite albums of all time. I'm a big Justin Broderick fan. I think Techno, Al Techno Animal's sound is great. And I'd like, now that I have more of an appreciation for a lot of that style of rapping, I'd like to revisit that album. So so I've got yeah. Danger Doom, and then Edon, and then fucking Brotherhood of the Bob. So I have a whole list of shit to listen to. You, you got some homework. You got some homework. I could, I can give you some extracurricular and some overtime homework too. But um, I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with better that. than asking me to listen to like the fucking bang pow boom outtakes or whatever the fuck Wyatt was trying to get me to listen to. For the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, from 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 regular clowns to some abstract clowns, maybe in, in some people's um eyes or ears. But uh, no, Brotherhood of the Bomb is it is like industrial industrial hip hop. Like it is, it's pretty much like you know taking bit of dialect and uh, <laughs> mechanical and you know ilbient moving all that sort of stuff but uh but um yeah last two things i probably want to say with um uh Colvain, pigeon and scream phoenix mm -hmm. man these pigeon and scream phoenix is probably i i i'm, I'm a very mathematical and, and mechanical and robotic person like my brain like I love consuming art, but I could not create art for like I have no creativity in any bone of my body. But Pigeon and Scream Phoenix are probably like the most emotional I've felt um, listening to music. Like 
just the concept, like, and uh, I mean, the production, like, I don't, I don't need to say anything, but it's just two of the best beats in hip hop ever, like, oh, Pigeon, yeah. Scream Phoenix. And, and the just like the verses, like, birds of the same feather flock together, can just, and just, no, 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 no. Oh, that, that's a Scream Phoenix later, but like, so that's like, he starts that, and like the whole concept of like, you know, a pigeon being like a street rat and, you know, just eating pizza crusts and and but it can still fly, and and then like the, the just like they really pigeon and screen phoenix perfectly um, encapsulate like the theme of this album of like you know you know obviously like you know escaping escaping your environment like your harsh environment like you know the trap essentially um, through creative expression you know, artistic expression you know uh, which is actually like a really really cliche theme in hip hop honestly but like they do it in like they do 100% like effort um, with it and then like you know going from pigeon which is like you know street rat to phoenix which is you know the most the most high of all things that got that got wings and rising from the ashes just like conceptually not even looking at the verses is amazing and then like breaking down like some of the best verses in hip hop like <laughs> In these two songs, um, like I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know what to say, but um, quite like the entire, I literally all I did is just copy paste the verses. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not gonna read this. Anyone can can do this, but just going from pigeon, which is like kind of like somber and and like a bit of like a like struggling and, and anxious to scream. Phoenix is just sort of like optimistic, and it really is like the light at the end of the tunnel of the album. Just Book, like bookending this album with um, you know Pigeon and Screen Phoenix which is a hidden track and then Iron Galaxy at the start it's just like like the, they hammer in the themes of these albums but not over the top of your head like it, it it's woven in expertly uh, I don't know to compare it to like for example I don't know just pick an artist at random the Insane Clown Posse <laughs> like they don't really like they don't just beat you over the head with a theme just to like just having a theme in and of itself doesn't make it a good theme or like you can have a theme and have it be prevalent without having like bludgeoning the listener with it and these themes are readily apparent but like even though the lyricism is abstract well, again once you decode it they're speaking to universal conditions and yep. they're painting as a picture of an iron galaxy and like what they're painting in poetic terms is a picture of an iron galaxy, New York City, that a pigeon, the, pe- the people, or, you know, you, struggling within the system, becomes a phoenix and bursts out of that iron cage. Mm. Like, y- it can be related to, like, you know, being, being like, a, like a black young man in the ghetto. It can be related to, like, being like a starving artist. You know, it can relate to, like, hip-hop and underground hip-hop and mainstream, the relationship between underground mainstream hip-hop. Or just any... any person like any walk of life is you know in, in some sort of like struggle and, and and just breaking free like it's in some ways it's super optimistic but in other ways it's, it's more like bittersweet um, I mean, it has the moments of bleakness to make the moments of triumph feel that much more hard-earned like before yep. you get to be a phoenix you have to be a shit-eating garbage-eating street rat and like you have the, the album's perfectly structured that way with painkiller feeding into pigeon leading to scream phoenix it's yep. such a perfect emotional catharsis at the end of it. Fuck, I love this album, dude. Like, yeah. if, if you have not listened to this album, you really need to listen to this album. It's incredible. They have yep. uh, 
on Spotify now. There's a 20th anniversary edition. It has the instrumentals at the end of it. I listened to it work the other day. I listened to it at work last week when I was first prepping for this podcast because we were going to do it last Friday. I never get sick of this album. Iron Galaxy always gives me chills. It's a fucking amazing album. It's pretty much perfect if you get Ravel's verse on Ridiculous. Like, and even that's kind of charming. And it's like, okay, like, you, like, even like just on a pure, like, yeah, his voice sounds cool over that beat. He made the beat. He should sound cool over it. We'll get over some beats. He yep. doesn't sound so cool over later. But yeah, we'll see, but yeah. That, yeah, we'll see about that. But fucking, there were some beats he did sound really cool over earlier in his career, and I didn't give him credit for, and that was on Company Flow's Fun Crusher Plus. Yeah, so this this is uh, this is part of, part of the trilogy. This is this is probably the album that um well actually not this one um probably the Fantastic Damage is the biggest curve for me to get over. But this one like. Personally, like this is probably not, um, this is one of my favorite albums. I, I like the Colvane more, but in terms of like changing how I view art, strangely enough, this album is like kind of like did that for me. Like something I was touching on previously, where, where like meaning and, and and having meaning in your lyrics and and you know that the the stages from concept to delivery and execution. Um, and like all those sort of stages uh, within creating art and what is actually important in that and what is not important in that and what can be done with that. Because essentially this album, Funk Russia Plus, um, it's 90% battle raps. It's 90% bragging about, you know, some of the most cliche thing ever, which is bragging, rapping about how good you are at rapping, right? Uh, rapping about whack MCs and, and rapping about how tough you are. Super cliche conceptually. But all in the execution and all in the approach, like who it, it, to the point where it's like, who even cares what the topics are? Because the execution, in my opinion, is like fantastic. And it took me a while to understand like the title, like Funk Rusher. Like I've listened, been listening to this album for years. Only recently I was like, oh, Funk Rusher, as in like they crush fun, as in like this is not fun. Um, we we take ourselves like kind of seriously a bit tongue-in-cheek but you know we're independent as fuck we're confrontational we're unfriendly we're uninviting we're frustrated we're bitter with the mainstream you know this was 97 so this was you know pretty much right the start of the jiggy shiny suit era like we crush fun um and this really like personally for me changed like meaning is kind of overrated it's all about any concept can be executed as long as it's executed properly. Any concept can work. This this is what this album um, meant to me. Uh, but yeah, so it was released in '97. Uh, um, I think recorded between '96 and and '95 and '97. And, uh, and this was released in, in like this was a time in hip hop where like the rappy rap and sample based hip hop, like all the traditional hip hop that used to actually get airtime was being pushed down sort of like to to like the underground and in the mainstream you had um I'll, I'll, controversial take but i think um biggie's second album is the, is one of the worst things that happened to hip-hop uh life after death i hate that album people consider it a classic we'll get into that another time i hate that album but pop okay. daddy yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll I don't get know it. How you can just drop that in the middle of your fucking <laughs> and start fucking like, oh, okay, all right, fine. I'm that gonna album. Slide on that one. I'm gonna let you slide on that one just real quick, but okay, fine, continue. Yeah, but 
Puff Daddy is okay. Maybe, no, maybe not Biggie. I mean, Puff I Daddy. I agree with you all day about Puff Daddy being. Like, I mean, I find Puffy entertaining now. I've come all the way around on him. I used to hate the shit out of him. I agree that he was a toxic influence in a lot of ways. He's definitely a vulture, but like you know, hey, he also hey. made a lot of shit music. Like I don't think there's actually a Puffy solo project worth listening to until probably Last Train in Paris. Although the one before that had some joints on it. Because Puffy basically is a solo artist, and I, I can understand you probably hate the, all of this shit and or have not listened to any of it. Like he just makes big budget like DJ Khaled stuff, except he has way more money than Khaled, and so it's just like gaudier and more expensive. And occasionally he can buy better things, but it's like all assembly line, heartless, soulless, fucking. Some- just bought he bought every part of it, and there's no feeling behind any of it. And anytime he tries to convey emotion, like. I'll be missing you is actually kind of gross. It's pretty fucking gross. <laughs> yep. But, but I, I guess with, with Puff Daddy, I don't, I, I don't know that much about him, but from what I understand, he sort of, he popularized hip-hop being, he popularized hardcore hip-hop or gangster rap being, you know, rap about some gangster stuff, put a cheesy, glittery beat on it, and then chuck a R&B female song hook yes. on it. And that 100%. is the format. That. And also, that is the format also for hip-hop. Also, incredibly lazy sampling, too. Because I always point to the example yeah. of, like, he makes it so boomers don't think... Fuck, I keep saying boomers in this episode, but, like, people in general <laughs> fucking think that hip-hop... Like, people who don't really listen to hip-hop think hip-hop takes no pr- talent to make the beats or make the music itself. Because at the time, it was because of shit like lazy lazy ass samples or like there's a song called come with me from uh the godzilla soundtrack it's puppy oh, and uh jimmy page the guitarist from led zeppelin it's just the riff from cashmere that's i know that it. song yeah it's it's not good and puppy would do this all the time he actually has a song with the locks oh, yeah. that i think loops uh do you think i'm sexy by rod stewart oh, yeah with yeah. jadakiss and styles p and chic loach Oh yeah, oh, that 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 whole that whole um like ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety nine East Coast um, hip hop that is such a blur like, for me. Like I I did I had you won't like I, it. Don't bother. You won't like it. Don't yeah. Bother. So when, whenever people talk about Styles P and the Locks and and all these people and how they're legends, I'm like, I mean, I, I like Styles, I like Jada, but that particular period was not good for them. But yeah. I I'll be honest. I haven't given. Maybe that's my homework. Maybe I'll listen to some P Diddy and Styles P. And, and <laughs> I don't think just, you're gonna give me shit all over it. Yeah, I but probably find you some good Styles songs. I don't think you'd like any Diddy, so I'm not gonna bother giving you any Diddy related homework. But yeah, but but I th- I think I guess um you know my point being, Funk Crusher was like it it stood out to be like what is how can we push this um to be like the most antithesis like we're making a statement we are we want to represent sort of everything against that um how can we do this like in the most unfriendly like you know independent as fuck way ever um and that's how like this album and like when i sort of put that album through this frame um and just going through it i just love this album like it it it's 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 a really important album like in terms of not just breaking the mold of hip-hop beats but like rapping, um, like before this, the only person, the only people sort of you had were, of course, you had Project Blood, who they they, they were doing like verbose and like really like spoken word offbeat rapping um, years, a few years before this. And then you have Organized Confusion uh, to an extent. And, and then you had like ah, Sapphire and, and, and um, Souls of Mischief. And of course, um, Cool Keith. Um, 
and ultramagnetic MCs. But even then, ultramagnetic MCs, they, they, they had some of the same like super scientific jargon lyricism, but they're still relatively on beat. But I feel like after this album, where this is like, this is where um, I think I think even Alaska mentioned this. He he said that uh, everyone in Adams Adams fan was trying to be Funk Crusher Plus. Like they, this was like the album that they looked up to. So like, honestly, without Funk Crusher Plus, there would be no Cannibal Locks. There'd be no Anticon, which would make you happy. But there'd be no like yeah, no. Would, a- but, you know, we'd all be better <laughs> off. But you know, there'd be no Aesop Rock. Anti-pop consortium, you know, elucid, maybe even uh, uh, MF Milo, was. Fuck, I mean, there'd be no, uh, well, there'd be no Milo without Project Bloat, actually, but still. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that, like, I that's... feel like Hellfire is more due to Bloat because Hellfire is due to low yeah. end, low end is due to Bloat. But yeah, yeah. Blo- bloat out probably. We'll, we'll might get to Bloat sometime, but Bloat out probably. Eventually. we're gonna get. I mean, we're gonna do separate episodes on Milo and Mike. So, yeah. and we might, oh, we might, oh yeah, specific bloat app, probably, yeah, we, we might do that. Um, yep. that, it, that, that would have to be Trilemma, though, for sure. No one oh, else yeah, would do that episode. He's a freak when it comes to bloat, yeah. But, but bloat are probably the most original, like, I can't trace anything uh, back from bloat that, like, that they were influenced from, like, in terms of pure originality. But anyway, anyway, that's a massive conversation in itself. But, so this album... To me, like the production on this is definitely like so. This was LP's first um, uh, attempt at production, and, and this sounds like different from um, Cannibal Locks because um, uh, listening to an LP interview, he said where he really started experimenting with production. He said with Funk Russia Plus, this was like his first attempt at production. He, he was learning everything on the way, um, and then he wasn't really experimenting with. Uh, he was mainly just doing melodies and samples. So it was mainly in rhythms and samples, but then he experimented with melodies later on with um, Little Johnny from the hospital um, and so on after that. But still, some some of the the, the production in this is still for ninety you know ninety six ninety seven. There's nothing that quite sounded like it before. Like it's still boom bap, but it's 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 it has this like like almost creepy or like raw. Um, like atmosphere, but it was still like it, it was it was kind of dark, kind of boom bap. It was still a bit traditional, but it's still like it's, uh, a little bit scary. Uh, I don't know. In his review, compares it to RZA a little bit, or no, actually, Too Broke to Care compared it to RZA. I, I, I hear the RZA in it. There was more of a jet, like slight, it was more laid back than I was expecting because I was coming into it from a later L perspective, actually, because this was the last one I heard. And at this point, I, you know, spoiler alert, I don't like, Van Damme's the one I don't like. I like mm. this one. Um, I didn't like it at first because I thought they weren't saying shit. And I was already, I think, okay. So I'm just going to cut you off and talk about why my experience with this album. Because initially, ahead. fucking, so I heard all the other, sol- like, around this time, around when I got into Cold Van, I listened to the solo L, as well as Aesop and Sage Francis and all that. I didn't really like any of, I, to- I told you the ones I liked. I like Mr. Lift, I like Gene Grab. And yep. so I can't, eventually came to this one. I was like, well, I might as well finish it and listen to this. And I'm like, well, it's less annoying, but they're still not saying shit. They're really not saying shit more than anything else. And I don't know. I just thought it was too busy. And I never really gave it much else of a listen beyond that. So then I wrote, like, a, when I was done on a review binge, I wrote, like, a pithy review based upon that. And I listened to it again for this podcast much later. So this was coming off about 15 years. 
And at that point, I had not listened to very much, if any, Cool Keith. And if I had, I'd probably just Octagon. If anything, it'd been Octagon. And I, Zilla Rocka, Wrecking Crew hadn't happened yet. I'd only listened to Alaska on Cold Vein. I hadn't listened to any other rap like this that had been influenced by this. So with 15 years of fucking perspective of shit that had listened to this and growing appreciation for this style, this album was really fucking good. This album is excellent. And even though I don't necessarily care for the style of rap that LP uses early in his career compared to later, I appreciate, I both appreciate and understand why he does it. He's really good at it. Basically, he's doing a Cool Keith variation. This is a variation on Ultra Magnetic Cool Keith. Not, not sort of. Cool Keith. That's what I get out of this is like he's kind of doing Ultra Magnetic Cool Keith, but not quite as. Not as many jokes, or they're different kinds of jokes. One of the things I used to say is that LP didn't have a sense of humor, and I would formally like to retract that. And like sometimes I don't like his jokes. That's different. That does that's not the same thing as him not having a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. He also didn't talk about his dick as much as I remember, which is good. Like that's something he's developed later in his career, and we all wish he would stop talking about his dick quite so much and run the Jewel songs. But I think he does it because he knows that it pisses people off, and you know, I mean, it, he's self-aware about it. That doesn't mean that it's pleasant all the time, but. Mm-hmm. A lot of the things I found obnoxious about this album from memory aren't necessarily criticisms of this album. They were things that I thought about Fun Pressure and, oddly enough, early Aesop Rock. I think they all kind of blended together for me. Um, yeah, I feel like there's, it's more, like, it's aggressive, but not, not nearly as aggressive as Fantastic Damage, I would say. And there is still, I think, kind of a laid-back quality to it compared to later L work. There's still yeah, just two dudes talking their shit quality to it, even though that it still is very driven. Like, I think for Boom Bap, it's got a lot more energy to it. Like, this isn't Tribe or Daylaw. It's a step above that in terms of, like, what it's delivering to the listener in terms of hype. It's, I think, um, yeah, the, the, I would say probably a little bit of Riz, a little bit of probably like the Beat Miners or something like that, where it's, it's more, it's, it's influenced by, independent hip-hop like of that time which is rare um but um yeah two things one honestly the reason why um i wanted to talk about this album fantastic damage is and specifically with you is that you love arm and hammer and billy was and all that and and, and elucid probably even more than me which is i I always found it weird why you initially um dislike these two albums because to me, like it, it is such a uh, very clear lineage between these albums and, and those ones, which is why I always found it. That, that which is why I wanted to revisit these with you, honestly. Um, and with with the rapping on this album, Cool Keith is definitely like he is uh, one of the early mold breakers of rapping. Probably also De La Soul too, uh, but. Um, uh, cool Keith Moore in particular. The only thing with Ultra Magnetic MCs, they're much more, much more playful and lighthearted, um, especially on their first album. Later on, they're, they they got a bit darker. But what I think is the biggest influence on this album is freestyles, and um, especially like radio freestyles on like Stretch and Barbito, definitely. Which is um, Stretch and Barbito, of course, was the, the a, a New York um, radio show that was from 1990. Until 1999, I believe. Funny enough, the first song they played is "Ego Trippin'" by Ultramagnetic MCs in 1990. But they, uh, so Stretch and Barbito, they specialize in um, bringing in MCs mainly from New York, but also from from Oakland um, and and you know the Greater Cali, 
and they did they invited all these rappers in pretty much like how they how all of these legendary rappers had their start big l jay-z wu-tang clan freestyle fellowship battle wu-tang clan i think in in, in an episode or in a show and um it's on youtube yeah, I'm pretty sure the Freestyle Fellowship versus Wu-Tang Clan is on YouTube. I think I, I saw a bit of a clip of that. I don't, um, like, I don't know all of them, though. Like, is this all on YouTube? Like, wait, did they put out this as an out? Like, was this, like, all on the radio? Like, um... It's... I've, I've, I've found... I've heard a, some of these. I've definitely heard some of these, but... You, you've, you've, you've heard, um... So, one of the tracks on Funk Crusher plus 89.9, so that's from the stretch. I've absolutely heard that one. I know what you're leading up to, but yeah, but I'm trying to think... Yes. Yeah, but um, yeah. So so there's scattered clips on YouTube of videos. Uh, there's a really good documentary for Stretch Bob Bobito that was released, I think, uh, maybe like five years ago. Um, oh, of course I know this shit from their show. Yeah, which uh, must must watch documentary um, where it features you know people from Fat Joe, Jay Z, yeah, Stretch and Bobito Radio that changed um, lives. Uh, released in 2015, basically about the history of this radio station. But essentially, they'd invite a lot of guests who wanted to promote their upcoming albums. Um, either uh, Eminem got to start here too. Uh, either they would bring in pre-written rhymes and spit spit those rhymes, or what they would do is spit off the top of their head. Um, and this is this is this is also around the time where freestyle that the meaning of freestyle shifted from being a non-conceptual written rhyme to off the top of your head, and it is with that it's with that like the the shift towards like rapping off the top of your head where you no longer you're you're not writing your lyrics to fit stanzas you're not writing your lyrics to fit neat bars you're not rapping within the beat uh, your main concern is just coming off with ideas um, off the top of your head and pretty much just rags and insults because it's a battle it's a sport and that is what i feel like is the basis of like that's what's in the dna of fun crushing plus that is the reason why they're rapping offbeat that's the reason why they're completely confrontational and that is the reason why they're, they're not they only have one conceptual track and the rest of it is just like just bragging and that's it and bragging is overdone but also kind of underrated in hip-hop but uh just feel like this album you know you can say that the, there's no concept really but i don't care <laughs> I mean, there like, doesn't have to be a concept like no like, i mean we just talked about a concept album but it was a concept album that worked like if you didn't know the concept of the cold vein or whatever you could still appreciate it you can like absolutely appreciate it on several levels and like there are concept albums that try so hard like we were like, I think we kind of, I tried to explain this earlier, is that it can be a crutch. Or you said it. It can be a crutch. And yep. there can be rappers who are half as talented at this as these two at rapping who could come up with a big, deep, con- logic, come up with a big, deep, he has come up with big, deep concept albums that aren't a third as good as this. And he's the perfect example of somebody who can do this type of super lyrical miracle rap. Like, he mm. can do that, but, and do a concept album, and it's not going to be half as good as these dudes just rapping about how much better they are at rapping than you. Mm, yeah and 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 with L- and this is where um of course the start of lp's lyrics were how um esoteric but also purposefully not meaningless but purposefully hard to di- digest or hard to decipher maybe specifically undecipherable some of the meanings 
um, are like it's on purpose. Like that that's that's the mo. Like when he says stuff like, you know, check it, I inflict it. Quadro nine fifty lungs misty called me Maximilian because I'm that crazy rob- robot teetering on the edge of outer space, spitting buckshots till black holes surround me. Like that's cool, like, Keith. Though that's cool, Keith. On like that's cool, Keith spitting like technology that is British on Octagon. It is, yeah, and and he's sort of taking it to to where I think where Cool Keith, he did it as more of a well, well that that's the thing. Octagon was around the same time as this, so that's I know, no, he's not ripping it off, but I'm saying that's like stylist, like that's Cool Keith evolving himself from all ultramagnetic. And yeah, so yeah, that's like they're both in the same headspace right now, is what I'm saying. It like, is. So yeah, it like, is, yeah, I'm not saying it's at all like influenced by, but it's like that's you know, I definitely thought, I guess, and they're like. Yep. Keith was going there anyway from Ultramagnetic and yeah, like Keith would do that with his style throughout his career too. It's like he would do it on sex style and call it porno core. And he was like, he would just take a bunch of, you take a genre of something or a different sort of class of words and just use it to talk about how he's better at rapping than somebody else and call it blank core. It was porno core. Yep. It was robot core. It was feces yep. core. It was hairdresser core or whatever the fuck he wanted to call it at the time, you know? So yeah. And and it was it was all around the same era. But it it was sort of a a knee jerk kind of reaction to to the main to what was happening in the mainstream. Like, oh, the mainstream is as accessible and friendly as possible. Well, we're going to do the complete opposite. We're, we're, well, I mean, I guess that's you know. what Black Elvis was a parody of too. It's like, oh, you guys want like a nice shiny suit guy who wore the first shiny yeah. suit, Elvis. I'll be yep, your Black exactly. Elvis. Yeah, and 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 yeah, it's that, there's definitely a, a cool key thing for it. It's still, I think, the approach is. Cookie is very, he's very more satirical and he's more, um, yeah, no, I mean, much overtly comedic. And he's overtly parody. He's overtly absurd, whereas L is like, L hides his humor a lot of times and like an, a superficially angry delivery. Like, there are more jokes on this one than I thought the first time, too, for sure. Like, that I, oh, I said that already. But yeah, like, there's more jokes than I thought because the way he delivers them. Um, mm. For sure. Like, like it, even when he says some stuff like, you know, got manners like Bruce Banner when I when he's stressed. I'm sick of your corny beats and your crowd involved hooks because I'm a thinker. Evil anus letting off stinkers. So right after he says something like I'm a thinker, which is super pretentious, but then right after he follows it with evil anus letting off stinkers, like it's talking about farts. Like <laughs> I mean, I'm always I love like a self like of um like a high low sort of thing where it's like yeah. It's something like the like Thomas Pinchon, right? The writer does all the time, where it's like he'll do like these super like he says super intellectual novels with these super dumb puns, and like where it's like you do something intellectual, but you balance it out by doing like a fart joke or whatever. So like L, like I love that shit, and yep. L was good at that. Like what I mean, was- but it gets tired again. It gets tired. Something like he'll do that throughout his career, like on Run the Jewels, when it's just another dick joke over and over. Like I think he got a little lazy with that specific aspect. Yeah, yeah and, more clever. Like he actually put some more thought into it, when, which is great, especially when we consider like so many of these are freestyles. Like, and again, like we were talking about the Canox influence on Arm and Hammer. I think this is also an influence on Arm and Hammer, although I feel like Arm and Hammer stuff is more. They're definitely written, whereas a lot of this is freestyle. I think Billy and Lucid write their shit. Like I've heard them talk about it on Call Culture and stuff. So, but I want to say that delivery in terms of group chemistry, I see, and in terms of like what they. I feel like the sound of this is closer to an Arm and Hammer album than the sound of Cold Vein was. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That like is true. Yeah, what, what Fanon would do for them, or the type of stuff they choose, because Fanon's really their only consistent producer. Like otherwise, and aside from Elusive himself, but 
Yeah, th- this is probably what sort of um, set the template of like like the 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 sonic template of like the the underground. Like the underground is is you know associated associated with being a bit more dark, a bit more standoffish um, in terms of the production. It, it's 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 purposefully inaccessible in some ways. Like like this this is what hip hop. Like I think it says the independent representation of what hip hop can and should be, or something like that. Um, LP mentions in one of his songs, and one one of the other lines that I really love. Um, I believe it's in a uh, uh, the greatest one of the greatest hip hop songs of all time, "The Fire in Which You Burn," uh, where LP says something like, "Even when I say nothing, it's a beautiful use of negative space." Like to me, like that 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 really really hit me um, when I listened to that line a long time ago. Uh, where it's it's almost I sort of took it as like even when there's no necessarily like a substance to his lyrics, even there was not necessarily a concept or like um, you know social issues or any of that sort of stuff, it's still a beautiful use of negative space, which is you know in, in negative space in art is when you have blank but you, um, like a you know a big blue sky or something. Yeah. It, there, there's still a purpose to it, like there's still an artistic purpose to it. It's and, the notes he doesn't play. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Was that from The Simpsons? Wasn't it? <laughs> kinda, kinda, <laughs> but not as well, probably more pretentious than <laughs> than that. But yeah, um, but yeah, I just want to touch real quick on on the fire in which you burn. This is one of my favorite songs of all time, and this to me, this is probably the centerpiece of the album. Um, where first of all, one of the best beats of all time, uh, like the, the like the drums are just like insanely hard um the there's like sitar and like uh, the scratching and, and like the, the effects and then like one two three four like of the like best verses probably in hip-hop uh with uh, bruin as part of the juggernauts and j treads and then lp and and big just um uh, where they they were all part of like the you know indelible MCs where they were re- released like maybe like two or three singles. One of this is them, um, but they were all sort of like you know very like like minded, you know coming from the battle rap, coming from the freestyle scene. But they took it to like next level where they're not only filling their bars with um, insults, but like the insults and the references are like more deeper cuts and like. They intertwine some of the meanings between what they're saying, but at the end of the day, it's still just bragging. Like it's still a, a tried and true tradition of hip hop, just bragging. But it's all in the approach, and 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 the approach, like, is just it's really, really clever. But it's so funny, like when you read into it. Uh, but it's also sometimes like it's like like Bruin, where he says, "Stay pleasant to the ears, just think." Uh, yeah, so so, to, so our front keep the tone vexing, but to the head stay pleasant. To the ears, just think of Lauren Hill and phone sex in. And then J Trend says, "Because um, um, on the mic I got more presence than attendance in a class of schizophrenics here." Here, that's I mean, if you want to be technical, that's not schizophrenia. That's um, um, I, I forgot what the proper term for it is, but anyway, and then. Um, LP, who says, I wasn't born in a manger, but I still received three gifts alphabetically listed. They're Big Just, Mr. Len, and I, which <laughs> turned out he was just goofing off. And, and then, like, it did, like, the joke is that, like, it didn't even make sense how it's alphabetically listed. Like, in the, like people would read into it and try to decipher, like, is it their first names? Is it their last names? Is it M and the B and the I? Like, 
the point is is that it's not, it's not really supposed to make sense either way. He's just goofing off, and and that's what that's the interesting thing about this album is that on one level, like on surface level, when you listen to it, um, it comes off as very standoffish, standoffish, and, and and very serious. But when when like you think of who these people are, these were people between the ages of like. 17, 18, 19 to like 25. Um, these are like young inner city kids uh, or young adults uh, running around the streets of New York and just spitting freestyles. Like they were just goofing off in a way. Like they, they were cocky, uh, but they, they were also goofing off. They, were, they would write and they would freestyle these verses just to impress their friends. And, and then, you know, take it to the radio and whatnot. So like, there's like this sort of like layer that you unpeel behind like all the seriousness and whatnot. Like it's just people having fun. Like even though it's called Fun Crusher, like to them, like this is, this is really fun. Like, I think like the crushing of the fun is more in the terms of the sound that the production sound. And mm. again, like if you look at the beats behind it, you'll see a lot of what L would do later on. And it's like set in terms of what he's sampling, he's sampling Prague. He's sampling like, Kind of, like there's a Shelly Duvall. Was that a Shelly? Shelly Duvall, the actress. I can't like. Was she a singer? I can't be reading that right. Let me go back to that. Uh, but like, I saw an ELL Electric Light Orchestra sample on there. Yeah, he samples. Uh, um, um, he samples Shelley like. Um, no way. Like that must. Fucking. Is it a vocal like sample? Uh, yeah, from the fucking Popeyes, dude. I oh, samples Popeye. That's right. Yeah. Popeye soundtrack. Holy he does. Shit. Yeah. Yeah, this is '97, man. That is amazing. That just blew my mind. <laughs> he also he also samples um uh an animated Lord of the Rings cartoon, which yeah, I, I posted. Uh, he I, sampled the Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings, but yeah, the Ralph Bakshi, yeah, and um yeah, like like from '97 and for you know a dude's first attempt at production, like it is fantastic. Um, oh, like yeah, the beats, right. population control, collude, intrude. Bad touch example. Strategy of War has the three beats, correct? Is it that or uh, Fire Once You Burn that has the three beat switches? Probably Tragedy of War, because Tragedy of War is the three the three first structure. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's in um my Tragedy of War. That's um yeah. One of them has like three separate beats. And I'm pretty sure it's Tragedy of War because Tragedy of War is supposed to be like a three act structure. Like that's the concept song, right? Uh, I, th- I th- you're, you're thinking of Fantastic Damage. I think it's the Nang. Sure. Yeah, sure? the Nang, the front, and the bush, isn't it? No, that's the Nang, the front. That's the Nang, the Dan, the shit. I'm thinking of. Um, oh, you got me confused. Uh-huh. Tragedy of War in three in three parts. I, I'm looking yeah. at the track list. I knew it. it was the one before the fire in which you burn. One of those two songs has three beats. Oh, I remember it. Yes, and like. The first beat is the one I didn't really like on the album, but it only sets you up because the second and third are my favorite beats, or like two of my favorite beats on the album. Yeah, where he has like the steel, the steel drums and the yes, the steel drums. More of a mysterious beat. Yeah, that's a right, good. Yeah. If I, I almost wish I'd heard this before Cold Vein. Like I wish I heard this chrono- chronologically because maybe then I would have appreciated Fandam more. Maybe I doubt it because the stuff I don't like about Fandam is I almost like. I feel like I'm giving this short strip because I only I really wish I'd listened to this more. I hate to say, oh, I was so fucking busy because I, I honestly was like, 
Yeah. Been, uh, but uh, still, but like, I really like the uh, Thank you for having me listen to this again. Cause I was really giving this short shrift for no fucking good reason. It has been very influential in a lot of music that I love. Like, honestly, what got me really to appreciate this most recently was one of the albums that I've been super into this year was, um, Zilla Rocka did the production for Alaska called cargo cults, nihilist millennial. And mm. that gives me a heavy vibes off this. And they actually have a track on there. The one track Zilla rock, uh, raps on, and he's just a production for the rest of it where they shout out company flow. It's just oh, like yeah, they go yeah. back and forth the whole time talking about rap duos and shit. And, Company Flow is the one they mentioned on the hook. So yep. that, I think, specifically had me primed to really get into this. And I would say that 73 minutes is a little long, maybe, to hear two dudes just battle rap the whole time. But these dudes are so good at battle rapping, and this production is so good that it's really not. And they keep it, it a little, they keep it fresh, too, because, like, fresh in terms, not like, you know, fresh like the slang, but fresh, like, fucking in terms of, like, they throw in the stretch and Bobito. They have the scratch at the end. They have the one concept song. They bury up the track lengths. It's not just one track of the same length of the same sort of tone over and over and over. L was already good at album sequencing. Like L yep. is very good about as an album artist. I would say that way. Everything is stuff I don't like as much, like Fandam or Cancer for Cure. Like there's a craftsmanship in the way he does it. I can't fault him for that. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. There's craftsmanship and in, in, in originality in his in his approach. Like, he's really like no other uh, for his time, especially. But it, even going forward, there's a lot of not direct imitators, but there's a lot of direct influences from from his style. But it's still like, even like when I re-listen to to, I mean, I listen to Fantastic Damage Heaps, but even when I re-listen to it for this, there's nothing quite like it. Like that captures the franticness of it. Um, um, even Fun Crusher Plus, in terms of well. In terms of the wrapping of Funk Crusher Plus, there's definitely like I, I could name about you know fifteen or twenty. Um, so I guess we're formally moving on to Fandam. Do you want to do that? Since um, yeah, I, I don't think there's much else to say about Funk Crusher Plus other than like, it, like you, what you said about the length. I kind of agree, but I don't really know what to trim. Like my my gut feeling says um, the the. Um, what was it the song there there's the, the other thing i want to say big just he's he's not a slouch either like oh, yeah. LP, i feel like we kind of gave him short shrift because we hardly talked about him but he's outstanding he raps just as well as l some songs even better i would say personally his his rap voice is more to my taste like i would if i heard this at the time i wouldn't have had to adjust to his rap voice at all because yep. the one thing about l's rap voice is that like, now I hear the Cool Keith influence. And the other thing is I listen to dudes way weirder than L sounds now. But, like, the what, what he's going for... Like, I'm trying to think of a modern... Like, exhausting. Like, the modern-day analog I think of of somebody who kind of does the same thing is Al Davino in terms of style, where it's just hitting, mm. hitting you and hitting you and hitting you and hitting you with references that might make sense and might not, and they're over your head, possibly on purpose, possibly they're the deepest thing you've ever heard you don't know, because he's just hitting you in a flurry. And possibly mm. the fact that he's just giving... And it's probably the fact that he's giving it to you in a flurry that's the point. The It's just like power punch rap is how I like to think about it. it you're treated like a speed bag. And sometimes it's exhilarating, and sometimes it's exhausting. And when I first heard all this shit... I was not nearly seasoned enough of a fucking listener to appreciate that. To even try, I was trying to catch all the words. That's yeah. not the way to listen to this shit. Yeah, and, and and I was the exact same. Like like um, just when I was talking before, you know, seven, eighteen tracks. 
um, you know, 77 minutes. Like, even I was thinking before, like, my gut feeling is to say, to cut out uh, probably the song Loon TNS. But that song is so crucial because I, I don't know if you remember that song, but that song is it's a big just solo joint. The beat is decent. Um, it has a tons of scratching from Mr. Lin. Hey, 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 leave the squirrel alone. Okay. <laughs> I was afraid this was going to happen. I'm recording this in my new house, and uh, I have a backyard, and I have squirrels, and my dog likes to attack them. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, this so is the song happened at some point. <laughs> the, um... Get away from the squirrel. Okay, I think it's gone. <laughs> Um, you were saying sorry that yeah like the song Loon TNS which it's not my favorite song but that song is so crucial to like overall album because it's a big Joss solo joint with a lot of scratching from Mr. Len and the lyrics are 100% esoteric like he is rhyming off he's barely rhyming he's offbeat and he's just basically giving his history of the New York graffiti scene and like if you don't know what he's talking about, he doesn't care. Like even he says straight up, he finishes with saying straight up for niggas who don't understand. Obviously, this wasn't made for you to so fuck. <laughs> like it, it, it plays into the overall like unfriendly, inaccessible nature of the lyrics. Like he's trying to be esoteric on purpose, and even that song, like it's it's still I can't skip it. Like there's nothing I can really skip on this. Um, I mean, I would it, not skip that at all. I actually want to revisit that because I don't remember getting that out of the song at all. Clearly, it wasn't for me. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, that's for a purpose. So, like, literally, he names maybe like 70 people. Only name I recognize is Fat Fire Freddy. Everyone else is like a graffiti artist from New York who probably is never documented anywhere else. Maybe in like obscure documentaries or art, art, um, art exhibits or something. But like, he doesn't he, like, yeah. It's it's purposefully esoteric and in kind of a great way. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say. For, for me, this album is not flawless, but in a way, perfect. Like it's 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 a it's a very very important album. Like um, it definitely the the influence of it is heavily felt. Uh, but it's not necessarily always sung. It, the influence and the appreciation of it is more so told from artists, other rappers. Not so much um, hip-hop bands or um, publications, necessarily. Like You will find this album on list of greatest underground albums, greatest experimental abstract albums, but not necessarily on greatest hip-hop albums of all time, which you know is debatable, but... Uh, Definitely, it should be on the most influential. I don't know if it would be my top hundred. Like, I mean, it's definitely the most influential for sure. Probably wouldn't be my top hundred. I'm really glad you had me revisit it. I will revisit it more in the future. And, but one album I am not glad you had me revisit. Well, oh, I'll <laughs> that one back halfway. An album that I'm a little more appreciative of is "Fantastic Damage" by LP. But. I have to say this album still doesn't do it for me very, very much. I still have a lot of the same problems I have with it way back when I just started listening to this sort of shit. I feel like this was just... Okay, first of all, instrumentally, it's great. Instrumentally, mm. L is fucking awesome still. the I, I hate there's not an instrumental version of the Company Flow album, by the way. That really pisses me off. 
Uh, there, I think there's a lot of sample clearance issues, a lot of label issues. Oh, I can issues see that. that yeah, it's not that on streaming sites. Robert Altman's estate wouldn't clear the Popeye sample. They're trying to bury that whole fucking thing as badly as possible. Yeah, yep. And I think um, LP, I, th- I get the feeling watching interviews and like even just his feature list on later albums, especially like on the Run the Jewels, like you, you know that this guy. You know, LP, he, he can get ASAP Rock, he can get um, Big Just, he can get um, Vast Air and all that, but you never see any of those Def Jux cats. You never see any of those Rockers cats on any, on any Run the Jewels albums. And well, they wouldn't really fit, though. Like, what well, Run the Jewels is doing, like, even though instrumentally he's still doing the same stuff, what else... I mean, he still raps about the same themes. Like, the class consciousness is still there. The bra- the battle raps aspect is still there. But I feel like it's in a different place somehow. It, yeah, which I, I'm not begrudging. Whereas Aesop's in the same place. I feel like from the new Aesop album, Aesop seems like he's still in the same place. Which, not that's not a diss. That new Aesop album is my favorite thing he's ever done. Mmm. Mm, okay. Oh, I haven't listened to, to it yet, but uh, I'm not you saying... Should. You should. You will fucking love it. You will fucking love the shit. Right. Okay. All right. I think I just saw um, Fantano gave it a reluctant seven. I don't but, care uh, what Anthony anyway. Fantano gave it. Yo, yo, new rule. We do not make uh, no, yeah, yeah. on our show. That's it. Smart show. You're not allowed on the show anymore. That's a rule for all guests. Well, like 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 Funk Rusher Plus, he's not maybe one of the greatest, but he, his influence on radio music is undeniable. Uh, I hate that you're right. <laughs> Fucking hate that you're right. Yeah, but uh, anyway, he, like Crusher he, Plus, he's very annoying. I can't stop fucking talking about him for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but, um, but yeah, also, um, I said ASAP Rock, but um, I know the reason why ASAP Rock and LP. I do not have the best relationship yeah, ever since. Been, yeah, ever since uh, I think it's to do with um, uh, uh, Tao. Camo Tao, yeah, or I don't know yeah. how to pronounce it. Yeah, I don't know how to press it, but it, it's to do with his death, and I think Def Jux as a label falling apart, one of it is, I think Alaska might have mentioned this, um, it's to do with how LP and how people from Def Jux didn't, didn't find how LP treated, um, was, they kind of felt he was capitalizing off of the six, off of the fame of his death, of Kamehameha's death, who was not only a label um uh, on the roster of Jeff Jux, but he was also a friend with a lot of those people. So I think a lot of people, especially um, Aesop, uh, Aesop Rock, felt that he was being... I know dispa- they put out a posthumous album that people did not like that he put that out. Um, yeah, which which heavily influenced Kid Cudi, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, Kid Cudi cites that as one of his favorite albums and one of his bigger influences, which how he... Is Kid Cudi's friends with Cage, who was um, on Def Jux, and you can definitely hear the Cage influence in Cudi's music. Yeah, yeah, it's a really interesting lineage that, um, especially considering how huge Kid Cudi is now. But on the second Cudi album, I think yeah, he was on Man on the Moon too. I believe. I remember Uh, thinking that was the most bizarre. I didn't know any of that influential shit, and I I was like, that's the most bizarre feature. That album had a really weird feature list. It was like St. Vincent, Mary J. Blige, Cage. Uh, yeah. I and mean, I, f- yeah, I feel like... Cuddy didn't follow his music. I actually liked that album more than my review would indicate. I already liked it a decent amount. I had it at a six. I probably have it at a seven or an eight now. Um, I mean, Cuddy rapping is always like hit or miss, but it's got a really great sonic palette, and I love his 
dumb singing. It's not good singing, but it's I love it. So, um, uh, you don't like Kid Cudi, I assume. I don't like Kid Cudi outside of um, uh, Kid C Ghost. Honestly, he, he he is singing didn't his singing got good much 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 later in his career. Like his Man on the Moon two and one, his rapping and singing is so flat. His voice, like. No, it, it, I don't see too much. I love between his singing on Man on the Moon 2 and Kid C Ghost, to be honest. Uh, I don't know. I think he just found like the register or key that he works in and he stuck to that. Whereas before, he's just very. Uh, uh, I, I can see that. But, I feel like, uh, well, the other difference I, is that, and you know, throw up the Kanye time graphic Kanye is producing all of Kid C Ghost, and Kanye has always been the best at producing Cuddy, period. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that that I mean that definitely plays a big part into it. But uh, also, um, yeah, Kid Cudi in like the going back to the Cage connection, the Kamuta, Kid Cudi is sort of like that point between the old pre-internet alternative hip hop and like post-internet alternative hip hop, where he he is someone who can be both influenced by Kanye and you know, deaf jocks, where they're both alternative hip-hop in their own ways. You know, Kanye West, he was, like, middle-class rapper who gained tons of success and during the Bling era. And, and like, with his increasing success, that's when, like, the Bling era started falling down. Um, and then the deaf jock side is obviously, like, the anti-Bling era kind of stuff in, in a sort of a different way. And Kid Cudi is, you know, came right at that time when, like, everything on like, you know, the MySpace era went nowhere. It's someone who can be influenced, no longer influenced by, you know, just his region, but influenced by whatever he finds on the internet, uh, which, you know, I guess that's an interesting I thing. I tried to talk about this on the germ ep- the second germ episode of uh, the Montcar Lemonade one about, like, the main streaming of weirdos, and I think uh, in music and rap particularly, I think Cuddy was a big part of that. Like, just kind of... Oh, yeah. And like internet influenced, following your mute, like you know, following stream, like more left field influences for hip hop. Like Cuddy definitely broke that out in a mainstream sense. I mean, I think Kanye made it more palatable, but Cuddy is more left field than Kanye in a lot of ways in terms of how he looked and how he sounded and the music mm. that he made. And considering yep. that hip hop, I mean, yeah, you- music or don't, I don't like a lot of his music. Yeah, and you can attribute a lot of Kid Cuddy to um, specifically um, Ada. And heartbreaks, like as a well, well, he wrote you know. a lot of that album. Apparently, or he contributed, like collaborated on a lot of it. I mean, he's credited on some on half the songs, I believe. Yeah, true. Kanye has always had a strange. He's, yeah, you know, he's not exactly the most credible about his production credits. So symbiotic slash parasitic relationship with. Like he's influenced by people, and he influences people, and then he signs those people, and those people get <laughs> got nuts. And anyway, um, that's the um, kind of discretion. Yeah, going from fantastic damage to Kanye. Um, <laughs> we always find some way to get to fucking Kanye on this show. Yeah. Every single time. But yeah, fantastic damage. Again, instrumentally, I appreciate it even more now than I did then. Even then, I appreciated it for a lot. Of, I need to bring up the good samples on this one too to see what where else coming from. But lyrically, and his delivery is just I find this to be the most obnoxious LP delivery on record. Songs like mm. this. I, I will say that Deep Space Nine Millimeter is a classic. I really mm. like that. And 
the first track is better than I remember it. After that, it just kind of loses me with intermittently hot lines. The raucous diss is one of the coldest disses in history. And it would turn out to be correct when you found out where Rockus's money came from. Mm, yep. The 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 wrapping on this is probably the one of the biggest curves that I had to get through um, in listening to music. Uh, but honestly, I think it's probably essential. Like the, the the approach to his rapping and the instrumentals ties in with like the overall themes of this album. Like I think I think he he couldn't have done it any other way. Um, the the interesting thing about this album is that when when you when you watch a lot of interviews when you read interviews with LP uh, and talk about like his his um, influences he never um, even though he's, he's he's very left field like his influences come from very left field or rather his his music that he, he produces and raps it's very different from from the nineties but he always cites um, like the whole deaf beat drum machine era which is like you know run dmc bully d ll cool j fat boys and that sort of stuff where it's you know following the the downfall of disco rap is when you have this you know quote-unquote hardcore hip-hop with deaf deaf beats hip-hop where um rather than having a backing track of either live instrumentals or um funk or disco breaks they just had like raw 808 drum machines like super skeletal super minimal super like electronic artificial sounding beats which um sound very dated and very of its time like if you go back and listen to that music like there is no way that like a lot of um 90s boom back has has aged gracefully uh where it's you know the style has been held um uh, that, like that, the candle of that style has has held um, and, and stood the test of time. Whereas, if you go back to Run DMC or School E D or Cool J, like there is no way that 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 sounds just like 1985 and nothing else. But what he does with Fantastic Damage is that he takes that mechanical, robotic, cold style, and he just like pushes that to its like logical conclusion in a way on Fantastic Damage, where. He he changes it from like a boombox to like like if that boombox was like like a Decepticon. Like that boombox transformed into like, like a mechanical, like freakish beast where it's just like sputtering and, and got all these like wheels and mechanical whatnots and higamajigs and and it, of course what he says for, for um his influence was this was just like how noisy New York is. Uh like how dense and chaotic it is and of course the the Bomb Squad is a big um uh, another I was about to this. say that that every review I read of this invokes the Bomb Squad and says that they definitely sound that it sounds like specifically Black Steel in the Hour of Chaos or you know Fear of a Black Planet era of Public Enemy that sort of sound is what they feel and I get that yeah. I get that for sure uh, I feel like the noisiness is the best and worst aspect of it is the best aspect instrumentally it's the worst aspect in terms of the lyricism and the rapping because I feel that L's actual points and 
words get lost in the noise and maybe that's the point that you have to listen to you have to listen through the dissonance to hear what he's saying but i feel yes. what was an asset on the company flow album the torrent of words just this is just becomes a detriment here because like he's trying to make greater points he's trying to evolve the company flow approach to actually craft it into themes and this is where i would say what you're saying about meaning becoming a crutch is a crutch for him on stuff like dead disney and stepfather factory where he has these very specific pointed themes and i think he for all of his thesaurus term term paper ass raps he fails to articulate them he fails to engage me and i get exhausted i just want to hear the beats in terms of fails to engage you i get in terms of fails to articulate i i can't say i agree because uh what he's saying is one thing but how he said yeah with how he's saying it like there's tons of themes of like it, it's supposed to be dystopian like almost post-apocalyptic the interesting thing about this album um is that you know it's released in 2002 um uh, so it's it's sort of like post 9-11 pre-iraq invasion yes. but the funny thing is only one song was 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 written after 9-11 everything else was before which and that's is really interesting here by the way even though i feel like it sounds it sounds like post well, what really it does sound like, though, honestly, now that you mention that, it sounds like he talks about the noisiness of New York. It sounds like New York at the turn of the century. Like, yes. you can read into it the narrative post 9 11. It's called Fantastic Damage. The title track directly relates to 9 11 and New York post 9 11. And that makes well, it so you're reading the whole the album through that lens. But I think that what it really does sound like is the busyness of, you know, Y2K era New York. Yep. The funny thing, it's it's not even the title track. That's it, it, I think that's, it was that's accidents the, that. That's not the accidents. One. Yeah, accidents that happen apparently, according to Rap Genius. I don't know how accurate that is. Uh, uh, they, I think they might have cited an interview, but accidents that happen apparently is the. Which is my favorite song, um, strangely enough. Um, that I it's always the one assumed it was Fantastic Damage because of the lines like, you know, kids are patriotic, robotic, operate catapults, and goose step over in innocence, vagrant, vagrant of Reaganomics phasing. Like, I didn't look at the annotations, but I kind of read into that. It's like, okay, this is like the build up to the Iraq war and all that. It's, it's so funny because I was literally th thinking the same thing. Um, but yeah, I, I, apparently it wasn't. Apparently this was written before all of that, but somehow like he perfectly painted the picture. It, it's, it's, it's almost like he planned the Iraq War in 9-11 or something because he perfectly paint, paints a picture like with this album with the franticness of the beats, but also the franticness of, of, of the lyrics and also the franticness of how the, the vocals are edited. Like it's, it's such a perfect like encapsulation of the era and yet apparently, you know, um, I guess I'd have to, we'd have to confirm from the man himself, but apparently it wasn't. Apparently this was all written pre nine eleven, so pre Iraq invasion. Now, but I mean, there was still a bunch of messed up stuff happening in the world. Um, oh, more pre nine yeah, eleven, like, leading up to it, yeah. of course. Oh no, like there everything, like you know, there's no. It all gets viewed with rosy lenses, but like the whole, just I don't want to go into too much detail about it because I'm just going to come across stupid and uneducated, even though I lived through it. I was still pretty young at the time, but the Clinton years were pretty fucking horrible in their own way. You don't have the Bush years without the Clinton years. And like, yep. obviously, 9-11 was not, 9-11 did not happen in a vacuum. 9-11 didn't happen out of nowhere, much like Trump didn't happen out of nowhere. There's a build to these sorts of things. And this is kind of like the sound of the noisy buildup to a catastrophe. And then also the catastrophe afterwards, the Iraq war, and also possibly the 
desolate post-apocalypse after that. Like, the sounds of this album encapsulate a lot of that. But I get most of that instrumentally. I understand what he's going for lyrically, and it either sails over my head or just goes in one ear or out the other. Part of that's my inattentiveness as a listener. I would say this. When I initially heard it, I neither appreciated it or admired it. And uh, now it's something I admire without necessarily enjoying on a lyrical level. I can at least admire it. I definitely appreciate a lot more of where I was coming from as a rapper on a technical level, knowing the cool Keith stuff, having context for it, and you know, reading the lyrics. The lyrics. This is one of the rare albums I would say the lyrics read better than they sound. And I think this actually goes back to maybe a conversation that was from Call Out Culture, not one about Def Jux, actually. It was, one of the Arm and ha- it was the Arm and Hammer one. I think Elucid was talking about how he wouldn't ever want his... The reason they don't include lyric sheets is he doesn't want people to be able to read along. He doesn't think rap is supposed to be read along to. It's not a written art form. It's a spoken art form. And I... Yeah. Uh, so where do you fall on that discussion? Um... <laughs> To me, yeah, I, I, I think the, I, I kind of hinted at that too earlier. Um, in terms of like, yeah, it, it is, it's a spoken art form, not a written art form. The strengths in both, but what makes rap specifically unique is the sound aspect of it's a poetic devices that uses the sound devices um, in combination with, with the, with the um, non sound poetic devices. But with, I don't know, I, I just, I think I said this before, but I just love LP's voice. Like, his voice is made for rapping. And the vocal edits on this, it's it's something that's not necessarily, um, you can read it. Uh, because if, if you read a lot, of, uh, a lot of his lyrics, you draw a lot of meaning from it. And I understand what you mean, where um, when you read it, you're like, oh, that sounds interesting. Um, but then when you listen to it, you're like, okay, I'm lost, like like three, three, three lines in and I'm already lost. But I think that's the point. Like, I like with like with the vocal edits, he um, similar to techniques that he had on Cannibal Ox, uh, Cold Vein, but he just like magnifies it, like like the overdubbing and the vocals, like the the. It's almost like like the next line is in a rush to like get like get in um, before like the, the, the line previous finish, it's, it, it's like, it's super frantic and it's super like schizophrenic where it's completely on purpose, but which I really, really hated at first, but like the more and more I listened to it, I was like, I couldn't see it. I couldn't see it done in a more perfect way. And I couldn't see it done in any other way. Like where it's, it's like every line is like a person in a queue, just like waiting to like push and rush to get, to get in. Like you can, you can say that it's, 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 it, it makes it unlistenable or it, you could say that it, 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 um, it sounds like maybe like trying to f- forcing it too hard, but I think it's a, it's a complete, st- I don't think it's a fault. I think it's a complete stylistic choice that is incredibly unique to this album. Like, um, you know, Colvin did a little bit, but you know, that, that went for a more somber mood, whereas this one is going for a completely like off, like, you know, well, I think like Cold Vein is trying to be more evocative of New York specifically. And while this is definitely a New York album, I feel like he's trying to talk about a lot more than New York. I think he's trying to talk about America as a whole or like his yeah. whole life experience through like the lens of New York. And like New York is what he grew up at, where he grew up, where he lives. So that's going to influence the soundscapes. But what he's saying, he's trying to cram in a lot more than just New York. So it's like a Cold Vein, it's like Cold Vein blown up on a larger scale. And it's just overwhelming to me, ultimately. But I can appreciate what it's going for. And yep. 
I'm just trying to think about production wise. Again, I could say a lot. Like again, like it's harder for me to talk about the produ- the lyrics and the production because production. I'm just thinking about him in terms of like other rap, like famous rap producers that use a lot of prog samples. Like the other ones that come to mind are like uh, Mad Lib, Ono, and Alchemist. And he uses them in a totally different way because they take the prog exactly. samples and kind of use them in a more traditional sort of way. Like they just form them into their own standard like hip hop song template. Whereas L will just completely distort them and blow them up into something that doesn't hardly even sounds like hip hop. Exactly. And but to me that that that's what's that's what's unique about it. And that that's oh, yes. like to me, that's the best way to capture exactly what it's going for. And yeah, it Cold Vein is more socio conscious, whereas Fantastic Damage it's it's a bit more political, but also not necess- not always direct. Like he makes references to Reaganomics and military and 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 war definitely throughout. But it's also like almost like um, para like paranoia is I think is the biggest thing. Like it's lots of references to Blade Runner, Philip K. Dick, and Orwell, and Watch uh, who watches the Watchmen, and, and you know consumerism and the powers that be, and 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 you know distrusting the government, um, you're sort of raging against the machine, and all, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, that's which it makes sense. You know, I, I don't know how poor um lp was growing up maybe he wasn't you know he wasn't a black kid in the hood necessarily but you know he was still a inner city white kid in um in 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 new york uh but you know so this is he he wouldn't be talking about necessarily the ghetto but you know this is what he opens his window and 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 feels and sees during that time but just like it like the 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 drones that he uses underneath these like the gritty lo-fi drums and the <clears throat> like the mechanical like robotic robotic like turntable scratching and 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 like that the beats are just like jump from sample to sample and 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 even like he even has like droning sounds that like finish from, from one track and they seep in and almost like create the basis of like the next track which is something i only picked up recently um he does that especially towards the second half of the album um it's just fantastic but like Oh yeah, so I sat down and I read through the lyrics of each of these, and like, there's some really, really great stuff here. Like when you read it, um, probably one of the few songs there where he has like a flow, like um, where he's sticking to the, you know, specific rhyme, r- rhythm and rhyme scheme. Like I think it's probably like Squeegee Man shooting, which I think the concept is about how like he was in the car with his dad and and the the Squeegee Man was cleaning. Um, his dad's car uh, windshield um like got shot by the cop and then like he's, he's painting a picture of that and then he 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 transitions into like hip hop in 1985 and he's talking about trains and graffiti um but he's losing like um like and I, and it was fourth grade i got a high top played sporting the black and red jordan bootleg craze and when the big kids zeroed in i'd win so i haven't let my mind buy me a bootleg since cuz it was like he is using flows every now and then um where like for example that track where it's it's a bit more when you read into it, it it's like reminiscing uh but then for other tra- tracks like deep space nine millimeter where it's just super paranoid dystopian and he's just um all, you know rapping rapping um outside of the pocket all the time it, sometimes his his bars are like a few syllables sometimes he's like um, high-level syllables that, like, you know, cross over into the next bar line, and, and like, I don't know. It, it to me, like, it couldn't have been done any other way. Um, but yeah, there's just 
I, I know you said that the song the lower and you didn't like ace up rock on on um on that song no i don't like that song at all i feel like the guitars on it are actually it's um a very rare um lp rock crossover miss for me i find it to be a rock crossover it sounds like a rock crossover to me it has like almost a new metal tinge to it i don't like the way aesop's voice sounds on it that would be an example of the vocal effects it's like more like a vocal filter almost i don't know if they're using filters on their voices it sounds like they are um yeah i don't care for that song that's one of my less favorite least favorite song here and the beat is probably my least favorite beat on here okay i'm I'm the complete officer that's that's easily one of my favorite beats like delorean and and like it sounds like like the beat sounds like a robot uh like malfunctioning or something like i don't know i can totally see like it, it's completely a matter of um taste but yeah that's one of my favorites and i like <laughs> i just want to real quick i know i i'm probably like nerding out a bit too much reading verses but aesop rock i was reading into what he was saying it's like like a slash moniker's backwards haggle proof snaggle tooth fabulous five freddy but then later he says like the like some of the rhyme schemes uh uh where he says i'm uh, i'm gonna spread the fuck out something precious gavels for the guilty rattlesnake bait for the snitches cackles for the silky shallow lake waits for the midgets Badges for the piggies that'll make hate seem less vicious. Shackles for the filthy battle. Break plates for your interest. I'm strap your dignity down and see what bitch could bench press. Like that's the kind of stuff I like. Like I mean, there's hot think- lines in there, but again, like it's overall like in the delivery of it that like the the hot lines to me get lost. Like I mean, I know it's de- again that's what like specifically you listen for, and sometimes that works for me, and sometimes it doesn't. It doesn't work for me there. Just the combination of sounds on that was unpleasant to me. The collaboration I really like on here is the Vast Air song. I think Vast is fucking hilarious on this song. I think his delivery is perfect. It's completely different Vast. Well, not it's both the same Vast as on Cold Vein, because Vast almost always sounds the same and kind of different because he's definitely not as like dour, not as downcast on this song. It's like as close to Vast sounds as he's ever going to have to having fun. And mm. I think it's the most fun song on here on a album that's not particularly fun it's sarcastic if anything and this is still a pretty sarcastic song but i think vast actually has my favorite verses on the album that's so uh, funny because <laughs> that's probably one of my favorite, favorite. Aren't they? that's probably favorite. one of my lesser favorite like i thought the verse first vast air verse was just okay uh i like the lp verse but i thought i thought the second vast air verse where he has like like a whole bunch of Jimi hendrix references and yeah yeah and that's- he, he does it and it's really well, but I thought the beat was like really kind of meh and slow tempo. And The beat is not great, but the verses are my favorites. Yeah, I, I, I do love the reference to, to Cold Vein. Um, oh, that's one one line we didn't mention from um, Cold Vein from a B-Boys Alpha, one of the best tracks. Oh, um, yeah, that line. <laughs> we haven't mentioned that line. Uh, yeah, I sort of put a note, but I forgot, yeah. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, you, you, <laughs> my mother if you said. Listen to the album. You know exactly what line we're talking about. <laughs> uh, I, I, I feel dirty just repeating it. But LP references that line, and he sort of makes fun of Vast Air, <laughs> like in a way uh, where he says something like, um, <laughs> "This is disgusting." Um, just fucking say it. His his suck <laughs> sucklets like Vast Air versus Mother Reminder, and that's my B boy alphanumeric vagina diner. <laughs> That's she, the best she, line. That's L's best line on the album, dude. Like, I'm she, sorry. Like, 
Like that. That's like I, he, said, he said. He said, "Chick scream so loud you could hear my last album on Info Kill." And then if you replay Info Kill, he has a sample of like someone screaming as like the <laughs> ba- like the intro of a track. And it was like even the verse before that. He says, "Chick bit my chick bit my head off, but the ass was magic. Should have seen the tattoo in her back of a praying mantis. Clutch my chest like Fred Sanford and splashed her." crack on some mad shit now baby's amp trying to walk on both hands backwards moaning fantastic damage with her grill sunk in the mattress like that is cool keith like right there that's oh, that yeah. is that, that's pure cool keith like, it is that's disgusting. that's what i like on it that both throws back like you know the funny cold vein references hearing vast fucking like it's all um it just feels like calling back to the l stuff that i actually liked as opposed to this guy on this album it's an evolution for sure, but I don't necessarily, it's like he, it's like a painful stage in the evolution where it's somewhere between hip hop and the more, I, I think of all sleep when you're dead almost as an alt rock album because of all the features. And then that's like the next progress in it. And then run the jewels is somewhere of like a fusion to me because like think about all the crossover fans they have. I think of them as kind of a crossover act. And they're definitely people's, like, sort of introduction act to hardcore hip-hop, I would say. And people think of them as entry-level. And again, I think I said this in the RTJ episode, there's nothing wrong with that. I think mm-hmm. it's great that Al's gotten to that stage in the career where he can have that kind of success and notoriety. And I think he's a great artist for people to get into. And he can lead to people to a lot more, you know, interesting music. Not that he in and of himself isn't very interesting. Even if I go back and forth on some of his releases, much like this one. I think personally the best thing about this aside from the, I mean, again, I think it's an admirable piece of work. I think that a lot of what you said about it has made me appreciate more in how it really truly encapsulates the paranoia of that time that even living up, growing through it, I felt without being able to articulate or truly realize that I was just 16 years old. I was just starting to like fucking 16, 17 year old really realize how fuck shit was. Like everybody realizes that when they're 16 or 17, but shit was uniquely fucked at that specific point in time. And when he was writing, it was prior to and immediately post 9-11. So that's uh, such a unique point in time to have a snapshot of. And the twitchy, paranoid, just distorted feel of that, just mistrusting and just unsettled feel in the instrumentals and the need to just spew as much words, much about everything around them as possible. That's no other album like it for sure. Whether, however or not I feel about it, at the very least on a lyrical and rap level, there is no other album like it. And I can totally understand why this would be some people's favorite album. I, which I didn't understand before. I was just like, this is an album that people pretend to like. It's like people give me shit for loving Infinite Jest so much. It's like, oh, people don't actually read that. It's a thousand pages long. You just pretend to like it. And it's like, no, fuck you. I actually enjoy it. Now I actually understand why people feel the way they do about this album. I still think a lot of the reviews at the time, and the press kind of tie it back to the very beginning discussion about how I got into all this shit in the first place. It was a tokenist inclusion in rock magazines because it didn't sound like that kind of hip hop. And L was a white rapper and they were covering it for the wrong reasons. And I think a lot of the magazines that were covering this music were the type of shit L was criticizing at the time. They were the media outlets that L was talking shit on. It's funny because um listening to Alaska a lot in Call Out Culture, I think they do a Def Jux versus Raucous episode. And even in the Cold Vein episode, it's more of a Def Jux and Cold Vein episode. He it's so funny because he he mentions how him and and the other guys from Def Jux and and Adam's Fam and Company Flow 
they were huge fans of hip hop. I mean, that's how they got into hip hop. They grew up on hip hop. They were from New York and you know and, and Cali and and they grew up on like the most traditional of traditionalists, Big Daddy Kane, you know, Rakim and whatnot. They were huge fans of hip hop. Um and and they were just creating like they they were just like the next evolutionary step of like, you know, those those heavy lyrical and sample based hip hop. They're just, just taking that to the next step. Um, but it's funny because the mainstream decided to go in a different step. But one thing that Alaska always says is that they hated their fans in a way, especially with <laughs> Def, especially Def Jux, because he said he said he said he re- yeah, the more and more they got popular, the more they really hated going on tours because everyone yeah, on tour would be like, episode, yeah. would be like you know white nerdy boys or white frat boys who talked about how much they hate. Like he would say that like a kind of secretly racist, and they would hate um hip-hop and and because of all the like you know you know some of the materialism hedonism but also some of the 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 racial aspects of it um and but but the the people participating in the art it you know it's 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 the audience and it's the magazines and publications at the time they were pushing these images but the people the artists they were hardcore hip-hop fans much more than their listeners like they were students of the game they 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 understood like what made hip hop great, and they were just doing their own take on it. It's just um, you know they created the art, but it was the and, and that's what I always talk about the separation of the the art from the artist and the and the, and the art from the audience is that uh, like what you said with Infinite Jest, like anyone who says something like oh you're just pretending to like it, that's someone who's kind of in my opinion someone who's insecure and also someone who's lazy and not willing to like put forth effort trying to digest stuff. They just want an easy um, way to throw things out without having to put effort into understanding um but yeah th- to me like i'm a like i came from a fan of traditional hip-hop and i transitioned to you know into loving experimental hip-hop but it's because i did sort of see the evolutionary um and natural evolutionary lines that you can draw between those two worlds um and it's not even really two separate worlds it, it, it's more of a logical um, natural through line. Uh, real quick, have you seen the movie Uncut Gems? No, I have not yet. Not people's gonna fucking yell at me, but I have not yet seen Un- Uncut Gems. I will. Okay. Soon. Just got a nice new fifty-inch TV. I plan on seeing it very soon, possibly this the weekend. Reason, the reason why I bring it up because literally, just as we were talking about Fantastic Damage, I was like, man, Uncut Gems is like the it. it it's like Fantastic Damage in a movie, where Uncut Gems, man, uh, incredible movie, uh, directed by the Safdie brothers, starring Adam Sandler, um, probably his best performance, easily his best performance since uh, Punch Drunk Love. But the whole movie, um, it's the most frantic, it's the most like anxiety-inducing movie ever, and it's all through the direction, like, and the soundtrack, the soundtrack by One Trick Point Never, but the direction. These guys have so much overlapping dialogue and so much stuff happening at screen at once. Like, like Adam Sandler, he, he's like a gambling addict, and like he has all of these loan sharks chasing him the entire movie. Like, where's my money? Where's my money? And this is like New York, I think. Uh, and he's like, where's my money? And like all these people, are like, oh, you owe me money. He's like, yeah, I'll get it, I'll get it. And then as soon as he gets something, this is no spoilers, by the way. This is just the premise. As soon as he gets something, like he gets money or something. Instead of paying back his debts, he's like betting it to try and get more money out of it. And 
and while he's doing that, there's other people like talking on top, and there's like all of this overlapping dialogue and, and all these characters talking to in top of each other. I re- I recommended this movie to so many people, and about half of the people, well, well, uh, well, one person in particular who she suffers from like like a lot of anxiety, she couldn't finish like 20 minutes in because she said it was, like literally was giving her a anxiety attack. And I was just thinking of this movie, like when talking about um, Fantastic Demon, I was like. It's the same thing. Like he's doing the overlapping dialogue too, but he's like overlapping the bars, and it serves the same purpose. Where the whole time, like, it's creating this anxious mood. You're like clutching, you know, at your chest, and and you know your heart is racing, and you know you might not necessarily get the same out of the music, you know, uh, as much as a movie because you know movie is more of a visual medium and and it has a clear narrative. But I kind of do get the the same feeling from listening to Fantastic Damage and, and watching Uncut Gems. Um, and it is it, it is sort of triggery when I was talking about the, the the lyrics and how similar how with the dialogue overlaps and to to like really create that like fourth dimension of <laughs> of feeling I guess um, that 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 you get from from music and from art in general. Um, anyway, watch that movie. Yeah, really good movie. Um, um, my co-host would definitely appreciate that comp, as he would say, since I know he's been recommending that movie to for me to since it came out, and I think that movie is probably predicting his future if he continues gambling the way he does. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. I saw, I saw, so I guess just in the interest of time to wrap up the episode, I always like to wrap up with a question: um, What would you say is the best of the three, and where would you start as a new listener of the three? It can be the same one, obviously. So, um, I'd say Cold Vein for the for both because Cold Vein. It's the most accessible, definitely. Uh, it's the most grounded, and it's also the cleanest. Um, but it's you know it's still mechanical, it's still dirty. But it's also the most cleanest in terms of like it's really you know it's like De La Soul. It's like really creative but really neat, like really neatly put together. You know, you got the, the the tracks at the start that get you, the tracks at the end that get you. The themes throughout is like done really perfectly, but my personal favorite, just because it's so important to me, is probably Funk Crusher Plus. Um, fantastic damage. As much as I love it, uh, there's one track, honestly, that prevents me from, 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 from not from from like completely giving this album like a perfect rating. I really hate that Disney. Oh my god! Yeah, Dead Disney sucks, man. And it's like I. What was he thinking? That, yeah, God, it, it's a good like the re- lyrics are decent, beat is alright, but it that's... takes a lot for me to not fully co-sign a song shitting on Disney. But mm. Mm. Fucking, yeah, that song is just a goddamn migraine. Probably the worst song, definitely the worst song on the album. Yeah, that. So that's <laughs> so in terms of yeah, just in, in terms of consistency and album. That's why I'd still. Fantastic Damage is, is is all these three albums are extremely unique. Fantastic Damage is probably the most unique out of the three. Um, but yeah, I would say Cold Vein is definitely the starting point. Like if 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 I was to recommend an entry point to LP, I would definitely go Cold Vein. It's it's most accessible without any insult. What about yourself? I would agree. As my clock interrupts the podcast yet again, as it tends to do when I record inside. 
Um, I would I would agree with all that. Cold Vein is my pick for everything. It's the best of them. It's my favorite. It's the most accessible. I think it's the best in its aims. I think it would be the best at hooking a new listener. I think that maybe if you're purely a like solely bar sun hip hop fan, maybe Fun Crusher. Even though I feel like L's approach might be a little off putting, but if like. I think maybe Vast approach would be a little more off-putting than L's if you're just into it for somebody rapping hard for the sake of rapping. I think Fun Crush, like if you've never heard, if somehow you're that type of hip-hop fan and you've never heard of this chip before, which I think is highly unlikely in 2020, but that hypothetical fan might gravitate more. And then Cold Vein might be a little bit of a second step for them. But that's a really out there hypothetical. Cold Vein's definitely, if you haven't heard Cold Vein, you fucking stop like you've wasted your time by listening to this podcast as opposed to listening to stopping what you were doing and listening to cold Vein the first time we mentioned it at the very least iron galaxy which is probably one of the 10 best songs ever made any genre any time period period but uh, for the interest of time i think we're going to wrap it up it was great having you on sphinx we're definitely going to have you on again you'll you can yell at me about anaconda next time this was not nearly as combative of an episode as we might have promised people we actually agreed a lot more about shit but you know there will be more fighting in the future uh, yep, for sure. Yep. I, I, I'm very much looking forward to f- fighting. <laughs> but yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, th- thanks, Ace, for having me. Um, I probably rambled as much, <laughs> or even more so than LP on Fantastic Damage and how I was jumping from um thought to thought. But uh, yeah, th- uh, very great talking to um a very uh person like yourself who looks very deeply into art and hip hop in particular. Because I have no one else, none of my other friends would be able to listen to one minute of me talking about this oh i can say the same for myself that was very kind of you to say and you definitely didn't give me nearly as much of a headache as lp on fantastic damage and we are <laughs> living we are living off borrowed time and our outro music is stagnated pace by can kick see you next week Time will dawn upon us.